You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Fall of 1909, somewhere deep within the Grand Canyon. The journey had been rough but rewarding, as G.E. Kincaid, a gold prospector and explorer, had finally reached a point he wished to stop along the river. Although it was a risky task even by today's standards, he had managed to travel to an area that very few had visited, roughly 42 miles from the unknown location of the El Tovar Crystal Canyon. Kincaid had taken hundreds of photographs and seen hundreds of miles of landscape within the canyon. But as he pulled his small boat onto the rocky shores of the Colorado River, he noticed something that struck him. Strange markings high up in the cliffs. Puzzled, he ventured closer. And as if something was drawing him in, Kincaid scaled over 1,400 feet a single misstep and his body would surely be left to the vultures. After some time and with one final lunge, he pulled himself onto the ledge he had seen from below. He looked up in astonishment at the entrance to a large cave. But was this just a cave? An unrelenting wave of both fear and curiosity washed over Kincaid as his legs lurched forward and he ventured deep into the darkness his kerosene lamp barely able to light the dim, musty air around him. But, hundreds of feet in, Kincaid reached entire rooms and objects that he simply could not believe. As the legends go, what Mr. Kincaid found there that day defies the conventional view of human history on the American continent. Artifacts, writings, and even mummies of an ancient culture whose records have been lost over the centuries. Their fate, the result of unknown circumstances, and the challenges faced in the unforgiving terrain of the canyon. But could any of this be true? And if so, to what extent could the narrative of history be changed? Tonight, we explore underground citadels, ancient technologies, and a possible discovery that would have been the greatest of all time. Welcome back into the portal as we venture deep within the Grand Canyon National Park in search of answers to King Cade's cave. Thank you.
Hello, everybody. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay. And you're listening to Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Boom. Wow. <laughs> that wasn't so bad for being off for a little bit. It, we're tweaking things. We're staring at each other right now being like, that was actually the, th- that wasn't it at all what we said we were going <laughs> we to start Probably with. not. Because it it's supposed to be, I think, welcome back. Or no, do we welcome you guys back right away? Sure. It has been just that long, it feels like. So I'm feeling like, inspired right now. Oh, so absolutely. we're we're rolling with that. We got the stupidest grins on our face right now and it's just hilarious. <laughs> we're just we're just glad to be here again, I guess. Oh my right? god. It feels it actually it honestly feels kind of surreal. It feels really, really good though. Like mm-hmm. it genuinely feels so good. Yeah. It's yeah, it's been a long time coming. We had a nice break, you guys. We hope everyone out there's been been doing really well with everything, yeah. everything you guys have been up to. Like we've been I don't even know where we've been. Where have we, where where have we, we been? been? Boom. Tell me one thing, Andrew. One what's, thing. What's new with you? Well, we got, <laughs> we did get married. All right, let's make one. He actually gets to wear a ring now, which she's right. been wanting to do for, what, like two and a half years? So that's yeah, she's just long been time flaunting coming. her engagement ring. Like, she's all that, and I <laughs> haven't had anything, so no bling. So now I've, I've got something, so that's nice. Also, <laughs> we've been rewatching in the entire Fast and the Furious franchise, thanks I guess to... Uh, big development. The No Dunks podcast, guys. Yeah, we were... We, we got on that bandwagon pretty late, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. And it keeps feeling even weirder because when we started it, obviously that series started in like early 2000s. So it was like very much, it felt like at home. And as it progresses, it's like, this is feeling so modern. It's feeling know, so right? weird. Like, what's going on here? And then you old. realize, yeah, exactly. It is an old series and we're old. So. And we're <laughs> old. Yeah, so that's. You're all caught up, everyone. That's that's all that we've been. No, we've been. That's yeah. about it. It's been it's been crazy. We would love to hear what you guys have been doing. Like hit us up with the ideas, the, the, all the good stuff you were always giving us before when we were back at it. And I just need to get back into the flow here. You know what I mean? Like I'm mm-hmm. just I'm just ready to get back at it. And we couldn't have picked really a better story to cover, just because honestly, like you and I have been kicking this one around for literally three years. Like I said that on an mm-hmm. Instagram post I put out the other day. It was like, this has been about three years in the making. <laughs> Kincaid's Cave. Yes. And totally inspired by the boys at Astonishing Legends. So oh, yeah. shout out to Scott and Forrest right off the bat. Entirely, 100%. And we re-listened to, their, to that episode of theirs. I think it was like within their first 35 episodes or something. Really early 2016. Was, yeah, 20... Oh, my God. Time flies. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was probably the 10th time I'd listened to that one just because I love this story so much. It, it's a great episode, and it is a great story. And I do appreciate the way that those guys told it and the way that they discussed it. I think that yeah. was that was one of their top episodes, in my opinion. Oh, forever and always in my heart it will be for sure (laughs) so like i said this is an absolutely classic case of essentially a bizarre discovery or alleged discovery would we will say for now but something that could have truly changed the perspectives of essentially the course of history on cultural histories if you will the cultural diffusion of knowledge and possibly other technologies even not just getting on a boat technologies like i'm talking other technologies here people so extending timelines way further perhaps uh even uh uncovering things from peoples that are unknown to uh modern times indeed Mm -hmm. indeed so i guess we should just jump jump right into it it. are you giving me the green light (laughs) dr red oak green light Okay. <laughs> there may be some Feel Fast and the Furious references. Just totally, they're going to be more obscure than the story the, itself, folks. With Sweaty Letty. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, that's that. that's a straight shout out to the No Dunks guys because they came up with that term. And my they God, did. is she sweaty? It's very true. 
Okay, I digress. <laughs> Today, we are transporting you back to the turn of the century, okay, 1909, which is the starting point of all of this, and then it kind of disappears, which is strange. But in 1909, there was a story that was published in uh, the Phoenix Gazette about a man named G.E. Kincaid, who allegedly set off on an expedition into the Grand Canyon in search of the mineral, and we'll get into all this. But by other accounts, he was interested in other things as well, and an employee part-time of the Smithsonian Institute. And Kincaid is referred to as having recently returned from a tour with the Marines in several different articles as well. So that's an interesting hmm. note that we should come back to. We'll an, circle back to this. An early version of the Marines. When mm. were they formed, I wonder? I don't even know. That's a good, that is a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> we'll get back to that. So the story goes that he was traveling down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon on an expedition as a subcontractor for the Smithsonian, but his real interests, like I said, were gold at the time. So he's deep in the valley, close to this place of spiritual significance to the modern Hopi indigenous people of the, of the valley, who are descendants of the mysterious Anasazi, who will definitely come up as well. But this place is called the Confluence, very, very deep inside the Grand Canyon, where the Colorado River meets the Little Colorado. And a lot of strange stuff happens there. And indeed, something strange happened to Mr. Kincaid. He reaches this point along the south bank, and he's looking around at his surroundings and notices some strange markings. And in my mind, possibly paintings, possibly mineral deposit markings, something that struck his eye high up in the cliffs. Just around 1,500 feet, a very difficult climb, But he finds a way to make it all the way to the top, and once he reaches it, barely surviving this treacherous climb, he where he easily could have fallen, like literally the Grand Canyon, like people people die all the time in these types of places. So if he was indeed there, it would have been treacherous. But he realizes that there are actually markings on the inner walls of what is a cave near where he saw these strange discolorations from the river. And he realizes right away that they are indeed man-made. But but why? Who made them? What's going on here? So, of course, curious, he enters this opening and discovers a massive hallway and also a distinctly, uh, well, this hallway, which was, he's in his words, distinctly created by man, which then led into various other passageways and chambers. So this Mr. Kincaid, he ventures deeper and deeper into this cave and what he discovers, allegedly, was absolutely mind-blowing. He believed that he may have just been scratching the surface of what could have been the lost entrance to an underground city of sorts that could have, just at the very tip of this entrance, housed up to 50,000 people based on the chambers that he was seeing. But that's not all. Kincaid continued in with his kerosene lamp, finding various other passageways and all kinds of unexplainable things, objects that simply didn't make sense. Okay, before I continue on here, Amber, did you want to jump in at all? Or shall I just, <laughs> shall I just continue? Um, yeah, I know you're getting into the meat of it, that's for sure. There, yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting because obviously this is a very obscure story, a very fantastical tale by all means. Uh, and this Mr. Kincaid is a very mysterious figure, and there is a lot of, uh, let me see, shrouding of mystery that remains to this day when mm-hmm. it comes to this particular story indeed or let's say two stories right because there were actually two articles and yeah there was a whole 
schwack of information that came out of him. A schwack. A schwack. <laughs> I will say that. That's a technical term, I believe. <laughs> you're just like schmear. You're, <laughs> you're already back to that. We were off, we've been off for a month and a half. You already have a schmear reference. You know what? All right. All right. Well, you asked for my opinion, so I'm just giving it. I'm going to hold off on asking for <laughs> Okay. I digress here. Coming back to Mr. Kincaid. So the story goes, continuing on, that the journey by Mr. Kincaid was then connected with a professor and explorer that was directly involved with the infamous, I'm going to say, I will call it infamous, Smithsonian Institute. And that's, that's a joke. It's not so infamous. But maybe they have lost some stuff. And we've mentioned this before, and that kind of gets me a little bit, my back up a little bit, because... I want to find giant bones, and I want to find some of the things that allegedly have been sent there. Mm. Nah, we don't have it. We don't have it. <laughs> you don't have it. Some of them are fantastical, too. Like, some Indeed. of them are alleged, right. and some of them are actually, like, recorded. Right. Like, like legitimate uh, American um, native artifacts yeah. that were delivered and then promptly lost. Yeah. And it's not, it's actually, like, on record. Right. <laughs> it's not as, and, like, in my mind. Not, part, like, this story in particular. Ex- exactly. <laughs> so, but people will, I mean, when you juxtapose it, it's like, hmm. Dubious indeed. You may have <laughs> may have lost some stuff. Anyway, I'm picturing like the classic like Indiana Jones hall, of, like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the guy's just like pushing the crate into it, and it's like nothing's labeled seemingly, and it's just mm-hmm. like you want to go. F- what if just one of those is like a refrigerator or something, and someone's just like, "Hey, can I get that?" And it's just like, "Oh shit, we didn't label any of this, man. It's mm-hmm. somewhere in here, lost." Lost. Is this one refrigerator oh. shaped? Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> they are, they're all they're all exactly refrigerator shaped. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened to Mr. Kincaid, because, of course, he allegedly discovered some crazy things. And we're just about to get into this. We're mm-hmm. teasing you guys right now. But this story, it only came to light because of two different articles that were published in 1909. The first one came to light in March of that year. And I believe both of them were published by the it, the Arizona Gazette, the Phoenix Gazette. There was only two competing papers at the time, and I don't want to get too convoluted with that, and I didn't want to like misspeak. So I just wanted to say that in case I twisted that around a little bit. There were only two papers at the time. Both of them were very reputable, but as we will see as we get into this story, papers at the time, and like we've referenced before with the Charlie Cluster story, they definitely were into some wild things mm-hmm. some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, But in any event, 1909, this first one comes out, and it's a real tease, just like we're teasing you guys right now. So the 12th, uh, G.E. Kincaid reaches Yuma, and it's not very long, but it kind of just gives us this little tease of the story, and I'm not sure who would it would have gotten interested per se, because of reasons that, again, we'll get into. It's like, who would be that interested, I guess, but... Let's read it. And Who would be judge. that interested? I mean, okay, this well. just for this tease. I mean, it's 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 very subtle. It's not giving people a lot okay, of. Okay, well, let's talk about it after I read it, yeah, and then okay. let's let everyone get familiarized. Because, like we, I don't know. Actually, I don't think you mentioned that it's an unauthored article. Right. It's not authored. There's no one in the byline. The source that we have does list the Arizona Gazette. So I don't think you're twisting anything in that regard. But you're There's pulling. T- you're pulling a forest right now, where you're just like, I just gotta cover my bases right now. <laughs> 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 Well, but I will keep doing it. Speculation that. does remain as to who is responsible for the writing of these articles. In my opinion, obviously, like more than half of it was written by this alleged G. Kincaid. So that's not this one. Let's get into March 12th, 1909. G.E. Kincaid reaches Yuma. G.E. Kincaid of Lewiston, Idaho, arrived in Yuma after a trip from Green River, Wyoming, down the entire course of the Colorado River. <laughs> He is the second man to make this journey and came alone in a small skiff. 
stopping at his pleasure to investigate the surrounding country. And that is a privilege that does not remain today in this area. I continue. He left Green River in October, having a small covered boat with oars and carrying a fine camera, with which he secured over 700 views of the river and canyons, which were unsurpassed. Mr. Kincaid says that one of the most interesting features of the trip was passing through the sluiceways at Laguna Dam. He made this perilous passage with only a loss of an oar. <laughs> Some interesting archaeological discoveries were unearthed, and together the trip was of such interest that he will repeat it next winter in the company of friends. All right. Okay. That's a very short article. That is the end. Yeah. It's not a lot of information. No. It is something... That, in my mind, when I read that, I love it because it sounds like a report that was handed from from post office to post office and down the line. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's reporting while he's still out in... in it does. The, the, you know, he's still exploring. Yeah. He's still out doing his travels. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty cool. And for me, I, I wonder as to why someone would feel compelled to publish this article uh-huh. if... That's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so so like, were they were they privy, this is my next question, mm-hmm. this unauthored person or the the an anonymous author, I should say, were they privy to knowledge that they didn't actually include in this article that was priming, right? Did G. E. Kincaid give him this report and say, I'm mm-hmm. actually on the lookout? You know what I mean? Like, what do you make of all this? Well, yeah, it's, it's like it is. It's If it's the primer for a larger hoax, it just is like such a, it's not a three-barbed hook, you know what I mean? Like, it's not really, it's not that enticing. It sounds just like a very classic thing you would read in the newspaper, like, of the time. People mm-hmm. were searching for gold. They were searching for other stuff. Like, it was very much still the frontier in the, in the turn of the century and mm-hmm. discovering things. And I feel like it was, like, people with that type of interest would be interested. And I guess people in Arizona may have been really into the gold rush, into various different things. Like, I guess those types of travels were just mm-hmm. interesting in general. Like, went all the way from Wyoming down the Colorado. Like, it does sound fun and, and adventurous, but... My God, does it ever get more intense? So, I know, right? It's like, hmm. I, we yeah, should, we yeah. should just get to it. I mean, yeah, let's, let's get to it. Let's get to it. But I just, it is funny, though, because like, they do say that, obviously, there's some interesting archaeological discoveries were unearthed. <laughs> the so, subtleties, yes. So if you think about it that way, obviously, like he's probably on his way back. Or maybe he did, actually. He was in the company of this particular author because he says he will repeat it next winter. So I guess he was on his way back. It's kind of like the ending there. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about this one. It's so funny. We, we're we're going to be on the fence about a lot of things. We haven't done the show for so long that we're already just like skipping straight to just like, we're going to speculate on this already because we've been talking about this all week. Yeah. Leading up to this and for months and months and months as well, like just like constantly well, the stories come up. But. This story and then also the adjacent, uh, just, just the general canyon and its weirdness in general. Oh, so, yes. And there's a lot going on there. And to me, there's something so beautiful and also weird that the second article was published on my birthday, <laughs> April 5th, 1909. It's I wasn't cool. born in 1909, but <laughs> 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 almost. A century before. Yeah. It was like, what, like 89 years? No, I'm bad at math. You are bad at math. Yeah. Let's uh, just move along here. <laughs> <laughs> this next one definitely, like, hits home, though, more so for people who even wouldn't be interested in just general adventure on the river. Because the title of this second article from the Gazette, 1909, April 5th, was 
mysteries of immense high cavern being brought to light. Jordan is enthused. Remarkable finds indicate ancient people migrated from Orient. Now, there's some antiquated references and words and things in here, so bear with us, people. Yeah. You know, and... This wasn't us writing this. Obviously. (laughs) Again, because I wasn't born in 1909. But this is how it reads as follows. The latest news of the progress of the explorations of what is now regarded by scientists as not only the oldest archaeological discovery in the United States, but one of the most valuable in the world, which was mentioned some time ago in the Gazette, was brought to the city yesterday by G.E. Kincaid, the explorer who found the great underground citadel of the Grand Canyon during a trip from Green River, Wyoming, down the Colorado, in a wooden boat to Yuma several months ago. So once again, they're hitting on all those points Mm -hmm. of that first paragraph. According to the story related to the Gazette by Mr. Kincaid, the archaeologists of the Smithsonian Institute, which is financing the expeditions, have made discoveries which almost conclusively prove that a race which that a race which inhabited this mysterious cavern hewn in solid rock by human hands was of oriental origin possibly from egypt tracing back to ramses if their theories are borne by the translation of the tablets engraved with hieroglyphics the mystery of the prehistoric peoples of north america their ancient arts who they were and whence they came will be solved Egypt and the Nile, and Arizona and the Colorado, will be linked by a historical chain running back to ages which staggers the wildest fancy of the fictionist. You got me hooked, obviously. Like, that's total Indiana Jones stuff. But is it possible, right? (laughs) And that's the point of all this. Mm -hmm. And it it continues. This is obviously a much more detailed second piece here. Thorough examination of the find. Under the direction of Professor S.A. Jordan of the Smithsonian Institute is now prosecuting the most thorough explorations, which will be continued until the last link in the chain is forged, nearly a mile underground, about, a, about 1,480 feet below the surface. The long main passage has been delved into to find another mammoth chamber from which radiates scores of pas- passageways, like the spokes of a wheel. Hmm. Several hundred rooms have been discovered, reached by passageways running from the main passage, one of them having been explored for 854 feet and another 634 feet. The recent finds include articles which have been known as native to this country, and doubtless they have their origin in the Orient. Hmm. War weapons, copper instruments, sharp-edged and hard as steel— indicate the high state of civilization reached by these strange people. So interested have the scientists become that preparations are being made to equip the camp for extensive studies, and the force will be increased to 30 or 40 persons. Okay. (laughs) Way more detail, yeah. Yeah, no, it's like the recent finds include articles which have never been known uh, as native to this country. Right. So saying that, yeah, they are exclusively foreign. Right. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very strange. And But still being, a, but, but, but not getting into the nitty-gritty quite yet, it's obviously, right? Like there's a narrative build through this even relatively short article. Like we don't, mm-hmm. we're getting to it here. So 
well, yeah, we're getting into this next part here, which is his actual report, Mr. Kincaid's report. And it starts off with a brief little bio on him, and then it goes into his first-person account here, yes. which I'll now read. And I quote, Mr. Kincaid was the first white child born in Idaho and has been an explorer and hunter all his life, 30 years having been in the service of the Smithsonian Institute. Quote from Mr. Kincaid. First, I would impress that the cavern is nearly inaccessible. The entrance is 1,486 feet down a sheer canyon wall. It is located on government land, and no visitor will be allowed there under penalty of trespass. The scientists wish to work unmolested without fear of archaeological discoveries being disturbed by curio or relic hunters. A trip there would be fruitless, and the visitor would be sent on his way. (laughs) (laughs) The story of how I found the cavern has been related, but in a paragraph. I was journeying down the Colorado River in a boat, alone, looking for mineral. Some 42 miles up from the El Tovar Crystal Canyon, I saw on the east wall stains in the sedimentary formation about 2,000 feet above the riverbed. There were no trails to this point, but I finally reached it with great difficulty. Above a shelf which hid it from the view of the river was the mouth of the cave. There are steps leading from this entrance some 30 yards to what it was, but at the time the cavern <clears throat> sorry at the time the cavern was inhabited the level of the river ah. when i saw the chisel marks on the wall inside the entrance i became interested securing my gun and went in during that trip i went back several hundred feet along the main passage until i came to the crypt in which i discovered the mummies one of these i stood up and photographed by flashlight I gathered a number of relics, which I carried down the Colorado to Yuma, from whence I shipped them to Washington with details of the discovery. Following this, the explorations were taken. Hmm. Okay. All right. So now we have more context surrounding, or context, I should say, surrounding the the original article, right? Uh Uh-huh. Because he he says that he basically went to Yuma from there. That's where he shipped everything off to. To Washington, so he says. There are a few things, anyway. Ship, ship what he could carry. A number of relics, exactly. Yeah. That, that That's what they're talking about in the first article, right, mm-hmm. where they mentioned that a, a, a number of archaeological discoveries were made, that type of thing. So, anyways, let's get into the whole the dis- descriptions of the passages here. Because he goes on to say here, and I quote, The main passageway is about 12 feet wide, narrowing to 9 feet towards the farther end. About 57 feet from the entrance, the first side passages branch off to the right and left, along which, on both sides, are a number of rooms about the size of ordinary living rooms of today, though some are 30 by 40 square feet. Hmm. These are entered by oval-shaped doors and are ventilated by round air spaces through walls into the passages. The walls are about 3 feet 6 inches in thickness. The passages are chiseled or hewn as straight as could be laid out by an engineer. The ceilings of many of the rooms converge to a center. The side passages near the entrance run at a sharp angle from the main hall, but towards the rear they gradually reach a right angle in direction. So what this sounds like, obviously, like what he's describing here is clearly... Because when I first remember hearing the story and we're talking about it, like before I fully read all these, all of this, it sounded like 
man modified possibly right like a like a hmm. like a tunnel system in the in the caves that had been modified and maybe ancient people somehow were using it and storing stuff that maybe they that we, they shouldn't have been trading based on conventional history or something mm-hmm. but this is like distinctly completely man-made is how he makes it sound mm-hmm. like i'm picturing the the perfect angular passageways you know beneath giza and things like this yeah, it does kind of ring very similar to that. It doesn't sound like natural, naturally occurring things that have been modified, in my opinion, because of the, just like even when you look at the map, right? When you look at mm-hmm. um, the way that oh, Jack Andrews laid it out, like physically, judging from the well, We haven't even got to that yet. Yeah, no, no, it's cool. Let's, let's get yeah. into the shrine. How about that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, he, this is this is definitely important because they he continues in further and obviously the alleged... S.A. Mm. Jordan and this expedition team that ends up going in, they find something that really kind of hits at home as being like, what the hell is going on here? Because it goes on to say, quote, over a hundred feet from the entrance is the cross hall, several hundred, several hundred feet long, in which are found the idol or image of the people's God sitting cross-legged with a lotus flower or a lily in each hand. The cast of the face is oriental. The idol almost resembles Buddha, though the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship it represents. Taking into consideration everything found thus far, it is possible that this worship most resembles the ancient peoples of Tibet. Surrounding this idol are smaller images, some very beautiful in form, others crooked-necked and distorted shapes, uh, symbolically probably of good and evil. There are two large cactus with protruding arms, one on each side of um, of the god of the of the statue the of the, the dais, which the god squats. The dais is that's just like that a the pedestal platform, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All this is carved out of hard rock resembling marble. In the opposite corner of this cross hall were found tools of all descriptions made of copper. These people undoubtedly knew the lost art of hardening this metal which has been sought by chemicals for centuries without result. On a bench running around the workroom was the same charcoal and other material probably used in this process. There is also slag and stuff similar to mat, showing that these ancients smelted ores. But so far, no trace of where or how this was done has been discovered, nor the origin of the ore. Hmm. Among the other finds are vases and urns and cups of copper and gold, made of, made very artistic in design. The pottery work includes enameled ware and glazed vessels. Another passageway leads to granaries, such as are found in the Oriental temples. They contain seeds of various kinds. One very large storehouse has not yet been entered, as it is 12 feet high and can be reached only from above. Two copper hooks extend on the edge, which indicates that some sort of ladder was attached. These granaries are rounded, as the materials of which they are constructed, I think, is a very hard cement. A grey metal is also found in this cavern, which puzzles the scientists, for its identity has not been established. That's super weird. Hmm. It resembles platinum. Hmm. Strewn promiscuously over the floor, everywhere, 
are what people call cat's eyes, a yellow stone of no great value. Each one is engraved with the head of the Malay type. Bizarre. There's so much to unpack here, and we haven't even got to the hieroglyphics yet. (laughs) Okay, there's more. The hieroglyphics. He goes on to say, On all the urns or walls for doorways and tablets of stone which were found by the image are mysterious hieroglyphics, the key to which the Smithsonian Institute hopes yet to discover. The engraving on the tab... (laughs) (laughs) The engraving on the tables (laughs) probably has something to do with the religion of the people. Similar hieroglyphics have been found in southern Arizona. Among the pictorial writings, only two animals are found, and one is of a prehistoric type. And then, last but not least, the crypt. Kincaid goes on to say, The tomb or crypt in which the mummies were found is one of the largest of the chambers, the walls slanting back at an angle of about 35 degrees. On these are tiers of mummies, each one occupying a separate hewn shelf. At the head of each is a small bench, on which is found copper cups and pieces of broken swords. Some of the mummies are covered with clay, and all are wrapped in a bark fabric. The urns or cups on the lower tiers are crude, while as the higher shelves are reached, the urns are finer in design, showing a later stage of civilization. It is worthy of note that all the mummies examined so far have proven to be male, no children or females being buried here. This leads to the belief that the exterior section was the warrior's barracks. Among the discoveries, no bones of animals have been found. No skins, no clothing, no bedding. Many of the rooms are bare but for water vessels. One room, about 40 by 700 feet, was probably the main dining hall, for cooking utensils are found here. What these people lived on is a problem, though it is presumed that they came south in the winter and farmed in the valleys going back north in the summer. Upwards of 50,000 people could have lived in the caverns comfortably. One theory is that the present Indian tribes found in Arizona are descendants of the serfs or slaves of the people which inhabited the cave, undoubtedly a good many thousands of years before the Christian era. A people lived here which reached a high stage of civilization. The chronology of human history is full of gaps. Professor Jordan is much enthused over the discoveries and believes that the find will prove of incalculable value in archaeological work. One thing I have not spoken of, may be of, but may be of interest, there is one chamber of the passageway to which it is not ventilated, and when we approached it, a deadly, snaky smell struck us. Our light would not penetrate the gloom, and until stronger ones are available, we will not know what the chamber contains. Some say snakes, but others boo-hoo this idea and think it may contain a deadly gas or chemicals used by the ancients. No sounds are heard, but it smells snaky just the same. (laughs) I love that line. (laughs) The whole underground installation gives one of shaky nerves the creeps. The gloom is like a weight on one's shoulders, and our flashlights and candles only make the darkness blacker. Imagination can uh, revel in conjectures and ungodly daydreams back through the ages that have elapsed till the mind reels dizzy in space. (laughs) Wow, he's really painting a picture there at the end. Mm-hmm. Once, uh, okay, 
again, I get to the end of this and I'm like, I just read a paragraph and there's like 50 things just in this that I could want to unpack. <laughs> so we'll go back through it in a second, you guys, because you're probably all doing that on, on the other end of the mics here listening being like, what about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. What the hell are they talking about with this? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to break down here. And there's even more, though. And, yeah, they, they go on to describe uh, in, uh, the Indian, Indian quote-unquote, legend that yes. is in connection with the story. So it's the, the Hopi peoples and the tradition that their ancestors told of, like, these ancient peoples of theirs that lived in an underworld in the Grand Canyon. Right. And there was... there There's several stories that go along with this, and I actually have some specific stories from the first peoples uh, that we'll get into including the ant people which is mm-hmm. kind of interesting and there was a few different uh revolutions or seemingly or, or evolutions or maybe of different eras of peoples that mm-hmm. were interrupted by various cataclysmic activity of whether or not it was from you know like an asteroid hitting or whether or not it was cataclysms from just like climate change and and or all like, that type of thing well, like, like, like prehistory type like, stuff like i'm talking like, like glacial or? events and things like that and that type of thing sure, sure yeah yeah but it's pretty cool because uh this one that they referenced from astonishing legends talked about this chief called machetto and how there was this this rift that arose between <laughs> Good and the bad. <laughs> you know, you got the classic forces of good and forces of evil. And the people of one heart and the people of two hearts. And how this macheto, this chief, counseled them to leave the underworld. However, there was no way for them to emerge. But then the chief ended up causing a tree to grow up and pierce the roof. And the people of one heart were able to climb out. They were carried by the, the Red River, as it's known, which is the Colorado, and grew grain and corn. They sent out a message to the Temple of the Sun, as they referred to it, asking for a blessing of peace, of goodwill and rain of the peop- for the people to help their crops grow. That messenger never returned. However, today in Hopi villages at sundown, you can see the elders of the tribe out on the housetops gazing towards the sun, still <laughs> looking for that messenger. And it says here that when he does return, their lands and ancient dwelling place will be restored to them. And... It's interesting because, you know, that's a pretty, uh, you know, general legend, I'd say. But sure. It was uh, learned by one W.E. Rollins, who was an artist that spent years with the Hopi Indian peoples. Uh-huh. And that just sounds like a misnomer saying that, in my opinion. Hopi Indians, I don't know where this was really, <laughs> who, who this was specifically I'm, I'm, quoting here. I'm pretty sure this was actually, again, from, I don't know if this was actually a continuation of the actual article. Because obviously it's not a quote from Kincaid. But I think no. But uh, could have been it could have been from the article, like the the unauthored person, mm. the anonymous. Because this last part of it here, like just read this this last little paragraph verbatim, because because it really does kind of hammer home like what what they were trying to convey with these two articles. I think. Mm. Well, it says here that there are two theories as to the origin of the Egyptians, and now they're getting into that and that. One was that they came from Asia, and the other was that the racial cradle was in the Upper Nile region. And that, I think they're talking about the Fertile Valley there. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Hurin, who is an Egyptologist, believed that uh, there was an Indian origin of the Egyptians. So there was another uh, individual there. I'm actually not sure who Hurin is, who they're referencing there. 
But the discoveries, it says here, the discoveries in the Grand Canyon may throw further light on the evolution of humans and prehistoric ages. So that's kind of funny. For me, I'm like, I'm kind of like torn between that because it's very sensationalist. And it's like, oh, in my opinion, it's upheaving. What's that term that was basically like the American right to claim manifest manifest destiny, destiny, right? And like that sort of thing. So in my opinion, a lot of what we're going to talk about next getting into the all the controversy surrounding all this and whether or not it actually happened or not, whether or not it was covered up, like, you know, it has to revolve around that mm-hmm. question, too, of manifest destiny and, and the ultimate right of certain peoples and I absolutely certain population agree. stuff. I think that definitely comes into play. 100%. Very weird, though, hey? So lots to break down. Yeah, that's the understatement of the century, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, it's a can of worms, that's, an, that's to say the least. So, I mean, I think the best place for us to try to break this down would be to... We made a few comments as we went along here, folks, as we read through the actual articles themselves. And I don't know, is that what you want to do? You want to get through some of those? Yeah. All right. So the first one we have here that was kind of just like stuck out like a sore thumb, and we mentioned it as we were reading it, Mm. is this reference to of Oriental origin. Now, that's obviously like an antiquated reference. It's also very broad. Right. In terms of like what it could be referencing, it's kind of saying as if like some of the stuff they're seeing is almost, well, they say (laughs) Tibetan. You know know what it reminds me of is that Edward Said is Orientalism. (laughs) Anything foreign is just Oriental. (laughs) Well, hey, that's exactly what it was at this time, obviously. Right. And still is to many extent certain. Human and solid rock by human hands was of oriental origin. That was the the context there. Right. Yeah. But also saying that in and of itself too is, is like, it's like being like, holy shit, like some, some obviously super advanced people that clearly weren't from North America came over and did this like hewn solid rock direct. And it's one thing to do that where it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're building the Maui on Easter Island or something. It's another thing to go directly into a canyon. You know what I mean? Like, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, But that's the first thing we highlighted there. So it's like, is this believable at all? Does it make it more or less believable when they reference that says Oriental origin? Is that just like someone who's not an expert just making that as a reference? It's kind of weird. He wouldn't have been an expert. Gee, Kincaid, he would have been a mineralogist. He would have been a gold digger. True. But this is potentially when they're back and he's making references after Jordan, this alleged archaeologist and mm-hmm. you know, associate of the Smithsonian, yeah, has alleged. had a chance to well, exactly. And when review. we when we talk about Jordan too, like there was allegedly, if we have the right Jordan, which is very hard to track, he might have actually been on earlier expeditions with G. E. Kincaid back in the eighteen sixties. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. is something else that we can touch on here. <laughs> well, yeah, going through these again though, there's a reference here. I, when I was initially reading through this, I was like, okay, like, so he's talking about these several hundred rooms being discovered, mm-hmm. reached by passageways running from the main passage, several hundred rooms. Like, that to me speaks, like, is that, like, a, oh, I'm almost picturing, like, the style of, like, a cruise ship building, where it's, like, very small. Are these, like, cubbies for people to sleep in? Or, well, these, he said like, really like, big rooms? He said, like, living room sized? Is, isn't he saying the majority of the rooms were... Like the size of a standard mm. living room, he says at some he point. He does here. reference that at some point. But then he says here, one of them having been explored for 854 feet and another 634 feet. Oh, right. sorry. He's referring to passages there, not yeah. rooms. Yeah. But I was just like, kind of like when I was looking, I was like, geez, it sounds like a lot. Like that's almost, like that's 
not almost a kilometer. That's like almost half a kilometer. Right. Just for all Canadians out here. But just for reference sake here, like the biggest and deepest known cave city actually exists in Turkey. It's called the Cappadocia region. I'm totally saying that wrong probably, but it's called the Daring Q underground city. Hmm. And to this date has not been fully explored. So I can't believe that that's not completely mapped though, or explored it's like we know it's there i mean here here we're talking why are we talking about this then let's go talk about daring q well what the hell are you guys doing over there turkey they're too busy doing other stuff there are a ton of these things over there right this is like the mecca for underground cities so it's like i don't know i guess they haven't i I I think there's probably very very obvious reasons like you know it's probably not geologically stable to a large degree that's true it is quite possibly i think there's eight different floors so Crazy. eight floors, and it's like it's like um, what's it called? Like they go straight vertical down. So it's just like it's not as if it, you know a lot of them are air shafts and things uh-huh. like that. I imagine, but uh-huh. you're not very impressed. I, I was pretty impressed at the size. When, as soon as I saw this explored for eight hundred fifty four square feet, or sorry, feet. I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm immediately not believing this bullshit. Are you kidding me? Like, like this is ridiculous. Deep. It's gone too. That's too far down. It's too. Deep and there. not to mention that where the hell is he getting oxygen from if he's going this far into the well, freaking no, earth? Okay, you know first I mean? of all, he, this isn't King... Okay, two things. One, this isn't Kincaid saying, I walked 854 feet down a passageway. Also, Several the, in rooms have been discovered, reached by passageways, running from the main passage. One of them right. haven't been explored for 854 feet. I right. guess he's not personally claiming to have done that. 30 but. to 40 persons came on the second expedition with S.A. Jordan, and they're clearly very good at measuring things because they're very specific about the footage and everything. Where are right? these 34 and people is, to provide testimony to this actually happening? Yeah, I have that <laughs> in my theory notes as well. You're just hitting on all my theories. You're literally, we're 40 minutes in. We're not even halfway through. You've already covered all my theories. Bing, bang, boom. We're done. It's not real. Everyone would go and help. No, <laughs> just, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> no, I know you do. And one thing I wanted to point out here is like, it's curious, like, the, yeah, you're, okay, you're not wrong about some of these distances and, and lengths and sizes. Like, they are a little bit dubious, I guess. So you do think that it, that they could breathe that far in there now because it's clearly was a th- that's what you're saying. Okay, that's well, fine. I'm 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 imagining so because if they're sure. able to explore other things to that depth, like I wouldn't personally be doing that. I know we were all talking, we were doing the Kentucky cave, cave, <laughs> the Kentucky Goblin cave thing, but like I don't know, Kentucky Dave is that what you just yeah, said? Kentucky, Kentucky Dave. Dave. I get in there about 12, 15 feet, and I'm done. So yeah, I, that I do not doubt. <laughs> I will say that's kind of funny that it's almost the exact same distance. He's like I climbed up basically 1486 feet and then he has another reference here or they have another reference here the article to one of the the shafts or whatever you want being 1480 feet it's almost like they're just using the same numbers ah take six feet off of it you know what i mean that's but it's it's almost identical mm-hmm. but that's that's curious that no that reference to the turkish turkish site Definitely kind of lends some credence to this. I mean, I, I was thing, literally trying to find examples of anything else that was an underground city anywhere in the world. Let's juxtapose that to the next note, because the next note is one you added in here on uh, the, <laughs> the, the notion of Mr. Kincaid being the first white child born in Idaho. That's uh, how do they know that? <laughs> That's well, my first question. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were indeed the first white child born in Idaho, maybe it was in an earlier paper. You know, maybe that's like, you know, it's like the biggest pumpkin at the fair type type, sto- <laughs> type story in like the 
70s oh, or something. It's just weird. It's very distasteful, obviously, in this cultural zeitgeist we're living in at this particular moment. We can put all of that aside for dealing with this because it's it, it, we know all of that. And you know, we're going to get in every sentence. If anything, though, this should be the key piece of evidence to find Mr. Kincaid. Being the first it. white child born. Look for the him. first baby that was a settler baby or whoever born. Well, who the hell can actually claim that in this day and age? Like, so, you know what I mean? Like, how, I, how would you actually know that in their day and age? <laughs> not this day and age, but our day and age. You clearly didn't Google it, I guess, right? No. Okay. How, how would I find that? Ancestry.com? No. You, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, well, okay. Ancestry for finding Mr. Kincaid is definitely, was, it was definitely one of the means here, but literally I Googled. <laughs> we let Scott do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Like, hey, we've got Ancestry, but I, I, I Googled, okay, and I hate using that as a verb. You've made me do it because you're just forcing mm-hmm. my hand here. Uh, but no, I, I couldn't find anything. I did search that. I was like, first white child born in Idaho, and that's a that's a rabbit hole, folks. You're gonna get in. That's not something you want to. Uh, anyway, it's, it's fine. But mm-hmm. you, nothing. There's nothing. There was no article. There was no 1870s or whatever article on this. And we don't actually know how old he was. And that's just a guess of if he was in his if he was in his late 30s or early 40s or whatever. Because we don't know who Mr. Kincaid was, and we don't know what his first or middle name was, or if that was a nickname. Right? Like this is these are all these are all the things. But you're obviously saying was- white child born in Idaho. That that takes away possibly a little bit from from the report here for Mr. Kincaid, unless he asked for that to be said. Maybe Mr. Kincaid was just a racist and wanted to just chuck that in. It was a total non-significant, really total whatever. It's not being racist. It's literally just being really like uh, white forward <laughs> in, those, in those times. <laughs> well, like, I mean, you just really want to make a point of saying it. I guess I don't know. I don't know. What else we got here for some notes? All right, the, the scientists. Well, oh, the you're mineral. Gonna, yeah. It's like okay, well, that's significant. Yeah. We already touched on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else do we have here? Obviously, yeah, the scientists are not certain as to what religious worship the idol represented, but they describe it as resembling almost like Buddha, possibly being Tibetan in origin. That is very odd, obviously, because it's juxtaposed to these things that they're making reference to Egypt and other things. So it's almost like. We're getting into like Hall of Records type territory here because there's various different things. It's not, it's clearly not from one. <laughs> one. It's aliens. It's aliens. <laughs> we need, yeah, Suclos will probably turn up here when we're talking theories or whatever because that, that does come up. That in some people's oh uh, interpretation, in, in some people's interpretations of things here. <laughs> but obviously, you wrote in here. It's like, well, who were some of these scientists? And and if they were indeed real and were indeed there, and this was a cover up, it's like they they must have been paid off pretty hefty. I don't know. Or was it hushed up? How, no, were maybe. They offed? <laughs> I was gonna say maybe they just left in the cave. They just <laughs> left them in the. They pushed them in the snaky pit. <laughs> the snaky pit. That's where they ended up. That's where everyone in the snake up. pit, just like poor Indiana. <laughs> Jeez, but that, hey, I said that to you though. You're like, oh, that just sounds so cliche. And then I was like, but this is 1909. It's like, other than being like a hardcore Christian and being like, oh, the devil and snakes. It's like, I can, I, I don't know of any like historical stories where someone ends up in a snake pit. That's like really prominent. I mean, I'm sure there is, and people are gonna message us and be like, you're an idiot. Oh, I don't even but, know what smells snaky. That was the confusing part to me. I was just like, what do you mean? Well, I okay, but you you yeah okay. So we can we can do you want to touch on that? So you called you called that out. It's weird. It's like what the hell does a snake smell like? Does it's, anyone out there listening own smell a snake? Like birch bark, by any chance? Honey, that is actually important. Birch bark. <laughs> we need to come back to the birch bark mummies because that's birch bark canoes. 
<laughs> well, there weren't any canoes. Was it birch bark they were wearing? I was actually making a joke there. No, no, no. <laughs> I think they do reference. Or they they were covered in bark. It was not birch bark particularly. Right, right, but I right. think it was bark. <laughs> right. Do you yeah, want to get to that, or are we just kind of uh, skipping around here? Well, we got to the scientists. There was one other thing here before we, we were just kind of tracing down the article here. I just kind of had this stupid point. I was like, when he's talking about these other finds, he's like, these vases or urns. Are there ashes in these urns? Like, how do you know it's an urn? Um, cups of copper and gold made very artistic in design mm-hmm. with club sauce. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Right. But I was like, oh, wow, how technical of you to describe them in those ways. But I actually kind of, like, thought about it more. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's like, it just speaks to the idea that he really wasn't sure what he was looking at in particular. He's not the expert. Right. So you can kind of, like, you know, just cut some slack. Does an urn have to have ashes in it? An urn is like a... a is it always vessel? for for that? What Can else you have is urns for? for other things? No. No? Just <laughs> no. outright no. Define an urn. You're actually going to do that? Okay. People were learning urns. It's a tall, here. rounded vase with a base. Primarily used for storing ashes of a cremated person. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but clearly if they were using oh. it for that sense... <laughs> there is a, <laughs> another definition here. It says a large metal container with a tap... In which tea or coffee is made or kept hot. <laughs> okay. Okay, so maybe they had other urns. <laughs> okay. Maybe they were brewing some coffee or tea. I mean, tea, possibly. They, they clearly, like, it was clearly some sort of high culture is basically what they're getting at True. here. In insane artistic design. And I don't yeah. think, like, you pointed that out as being like, oh, it's vague, it's this, it's that. And I, and I don't disagree, but I think you're right also in what you just said there too, where it's like, they're not sure what they're looking at potentially. Mm-hmm. So... They've made a couple other sort of outlandish guesses, but maybe they're not going to do that for everything. Mm. You, know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, like, to me, as we're reading through here, it's, like, it's it's not all the way fantastical, at least not to the, to the extent that you might think for something that's, like, completely made up. Where it's like you walk into the room and there's chests of jewels flowing yeah. over the flowing over the open treasure chests and there's mm. crowns of some ancient giant king and the throne made of solid diamonds and like right like, True, yeah. there's like we we've read all kinds of other stories like that so far it's like the references that we've we've made it's like it's well how about this next one okay a gray metal is also found in this cavern which puzzles the scientists for its identity has not been established but it resembles platinum. Hmm. Very strange. And that is the one thing that's been latched onto and very far off obscure corners that are like, this is like a depository for artifacts from aliens or whatever. It's like, that makes literally no sense. Was that are just collecting it, chucking it in a cave. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. But an un, unidentifiable metal or unidentifiable substance yeah. resembling platinum like, is, is this... still strange. It implies that maybe there was either some sort of higher technology that was way older and maybe we still don't even use now because we just came up with some other stuff mm-hmm. and just use that instead. Or they had contact. And I'm not talking ancient aliens like gave them stuff and the ability to do all this stuff, but just there was some sort of, you know, transference of information possibly like in just an exchange, not a higher and lower, just like that's where maybe another material came from. And, like, that plays into potentially why all these things are here at all. Because we've got all kinds of different stuff. And then, of course, we get to the hieroglyphics on these tablets and Before we get on there, though, hold on there. Hold on there, buddy boy. Jeez, you get on a little roll there and you just keep going. Just steamrolling. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to say there, like, he just describes it as a metal. 
He doesn't even describe what it looks like. Or is it in bricks? Is it in, like, is it literally just, like, melted all over everywhere? Like, what's going on with this metal? Is it That's refined actually, in any sense of the word? Yeah, like, is like, it just a loose object on the floor? I don't get it. Like, I don't understand. Like, are they in bins? Like, is it, like, some sort of storage? Like, I don't get that. How I mean, it's not described. Because he does go on to very... Uh, he goes on to describe in very certain terms, like the seeds and like granaries and all this kind of thing. Right. Two hopper, copper hooks extending from the edge and some sort of ladder. And like, you know, it's just kind of, that's very like specific. And it's a gray metal. Hmm. And then, and then he goes on to say about this, the cat's eyes, which is kind of cool. It's like tiger's eye, right? I love that. Yeah. Uh, semi-precious. It's not a semi-precious. I don't even know what it is. It's like a not even, but No, it actually cool. is classified as semi-precious. It I has, believe. it has properties that are yeah. kind of cool. And, yeah, he said that each one is engraved with the head of a Malay type, and the proto-Malays are of the Austronesian origin. So they were actually thought to have migrated to the Malay archeo- archipelago. Archipelago, thank you. <laughs> but this is weird, right? Because they're mentioning these specific people, specific type of people. And these people were thought to have, like, you know, like, they, they migrated to where they from where they were originally, mm-hmm. in a series of migrations, and this extended over a period of 1,000 years. Yeah. And this is from 2500 to 1500 BC. So that's, like, quite a long time. Like, it I'm, is. like, kind of confused as to, like, you know, like, maybe... There's so many things that we'll never know, which just makes me so mad. I know, right? <laughs> like, if only to be a fly on the wall. Here we are, just... <laughs> I know. We get to speculate on it, and that is fun. That is still fun. I mean, this reminds me right up episode on Pele and, and the Hawaiian Islands myths and legends mm-hmm. and the travels and journeys that were taken, yeah, like thousands of years ago between the islands and, and I, no Hopping doubt some of those Polynesians and, would have had mm-hmm. potential contact with these travelers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interest in something like a cat's eye is another very clever toss-in if this is a hoax writer because that's the type of substance that definitely is revered, like, you know what I mean? Like, and those other types of, like, non-precious things. Like, I'm trying to think of another example right off the top of my head. It's like, it ain't always diamonds and gold and, and that kind of thing, right? It's other substances that are just mm. interesting or significant, like ochre used to be, right? For its red color and that True. kind of thing. Yeah, they all have properties that are... Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, the, but the distinct reference of a head of the Malay type is just tossing in so... That's just another, like... Mm-hmm. huge tossing. We've got Tibet, we've got Egypt, we've got Malay, we've got, like, you know, so many different... Or we've got Buddha, B- yeah. Buddhist religion, which could be from a various different number of places. Like, distinctly, they reference Tibet. So, which culture is it, or is it one other distinctly, something completely different? It's none of these cultures whatsoever, but has acquired these artifacts somehow from these cultures. And I think maybe it's a little bit more west to east instead of east to west in hmm. terms of pre-Columbian contact. Perhaps the ancient Anasazi, or maybe even predating mm-hmm. them, popped over the pond the other way. But we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, there's the crypt as well. And I think the most distinctive thing about the crypt was the... Well, you made the reference to the, the example in Turkey and the housing up to 50,000 people in this one that Kincaid references. And I'm like... <laughs> I mean, he gets into the mummies. They're clearly not mummified in the Egyptian style, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like the classic wrap. Um, it's it's done with bark. It's done differently. There's clearly different levels of, like, person in one chamber. I guess you would get that mm-hmm. in Egypt with, like, families buried together where it wasn't royalty or royalty buried with some of their servants or whatever in lesser fancy ways, basically. I mean, it kind of adds up. It sounds like something that would be a real 
burial chamber to me. I thought that was that wasn't families, that was soldiers. Yeah, in this one it is. I'm yeah. saying I'm saying in in Egypt I think that's oh. a thing where oh, it's like sorry. you would you would have um, multiple people buried together in certain positions that uh, indicate their status in the oh, family yeah. or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. that just oh, makes sense. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I it doesn't sound out, that outlandish, the description of the crypt to me. What do you think? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Sure. It's all fantastical, but <laughs> the fact that there are mummies supposedly in the Grand Canyon is pretty fantastic. But <laughs> oh, man. I wish you guys could have seen Amber's face when I just asked that question. And, like, that pause, man, oh man, I'm getting that pause more and more and more on this show. No, well, I'm actually, I actually, I was it. still just looking at these notes of, oh, not the notes, I was looking at this, those specific passages that we're talking about right now, and mm-hmm. just like, these rooms, you're right, it was like, you know, uh, most of these rooms are bare, but for water vessels, it almost sounds like it's very, like, just, it almost sounds like soldiers' quarters to me, or it sounds yeah. like very, like, bare bones, just like, Bunks, like yeah. that type of like thing. Like the whole place. Mm-hmm. Like the granary to keep them alive, the forge to make weapons, mm-hmm. the basic rooms to house soldiers. And if, you, and if you look at it that way, if there's hundreds of these rooms or whatever, and he says here upwards of 50,000 people could have lived here comfortably, I am not doubting that, I guess. Like, you know, if there are that many rooms. like That's where Cambyses troops vanished to. <laughs> they appeared in the Grand Canyon and then they just set up mm-hmm. shop. Exactly 50,000, man. Exactly. No, but that's... That is a good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this part here where he goes on to say, like, the chronology of human history is full of gaps, and that this Professor Jordan is much enthused over the discoveries and believes that they will prove incalculable in the value to their archaeological work. Yeah. I think that, to me, is like, oh, or not. Let's just... <laughs> it's like Homer receding into the bushes. It's like, actually, never mind. <laughs> like, none of this ever happened, if any of this happened at all, if you believe it. I don't know. It's just crazy, though. It's like... I don't know. To me, I'm still just on the fence about a lot of this, obviously. Well, yeah, I think, I'm, I hope I can turn turn your opinion mm. as we work through this because... There's a lot of stuff that really props it up and makes it just really fascinating to me. Like, I've been staring at Google Earth for, like, you know, just, like, mm-hmm. just looking. I love how you can, like, turn the perspective so you can kind of, like, see, like, the different, like, you know, you can see the walls of the canyon. You can be like, oh, but they don't show you anything. <laughs> well, there's not much left to show, I think, even mm. if, like, if, if you believe, like Amber said, if you believe any of this at all. And again, that's a straight shout out to uh, Scott and Forrest, Astonishing Legends, because, mm. you know, everything was removed, right, as the legend or the story. I mean, it's a legend now. As the story goes, there was one account, actually, um, and this was referred to in a recent episode of a really fun show we watched on some National Park Secrets, mm-hmm. that there was actually 109 truckloads, like dump truckloads that left the Grand Canyon carting away as many of the artifacts and treasures that could possibly be removed with great difficulty from the canyon. And there were, you know, <laughs> kind of like the Philadelphia experiment, like allegedly witnesses of these trucks leaving the canyon and being like, huh, what are they doing in there? Like, where are these going? Mm-hmm. But it just sort of was chalked up, I guess. It would look like it's just a military exercise. I mean, you just got like these... Unmarked. It's not like it was a how branded truck. I mean, like there. when you're looking at the Google Earth, or how the hell do you get trucks down there? Well, it wouldn't be all the way. You'd be shipping it down the river, and I then guess, you'd have yeah. to go down. You'd have to ship stuff down the river to True. Yuma, and then it'd be driving out of the canyon from there, or whatever. Right? Like we that's... really need to go visit the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll go looking for you. Jeez, I mean, get, mm-hmm. get arrested in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I just got lost. I don't know. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I don't know. 
I would, probably, you wouldn't want to get lost there. That's, we'd probably disappear. <laughs> oh, 100% we'd disappear. Are you kidding me? If I, like, haven't had enough coffee and I'm, like, I got lost within three blocks of my hotel in Vancouver a few weeks before our wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, I got lost. I got turned around. I was, like, didn't know where I was. <laughs> anyway. But, no, seriously, guys, though, like, no doubt we would get lost here because this exact place, well, I say exact place, the rough location of where Kincaid allegedly found this entrance point is right where the, there's just a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of other weird happenings, otherworldly things, um, and just horrible things, too, to be honest with you. Um, and I do want to point out as well, too, that, like, the, the canyon is literally, like, almost displays the entire geological history of the Earth so it's very beautiful, it's very obviously awe-inspiring, but it's also, to me, when I read that, it's like, that sounds so primordial and like Cthulhu, like the world of Cthulhu, <laughs> when I think mm-hmm. about that, it's like, just the ancient stuff, like just the the secrets held inside, both literally and metaphorically, if you believe there's a, can- a cave <laughs> holding stuff. But yeah, all manner of strange happenings, like vanished hikers, obviously, bizarre plane crashes over the canyon mm-hmm. it's actually there's this one section that's literally called crash canyon where it was the site of a mid-air collision in the 1950s which at the time was the most horrific aviation disaster and now that section of the canyon is believed to be haunted by mm-hmm. b- the bodies that the people that were found and a lot of them weren't found so they weren't able to recover them Ex- all. yeah exactly mm-hmm. they, they, they got swiss hikers they hired teams of swiss hikers to go find them and they, even they couldn't reach certain sections so that just goes to show yeah. how hard it is yet the ancient anasazi and other peoples they got up to some of these crazy sections and spots because you know when you're there and you're experiencing it and you know what you're doing anyway pretty crazy but this particular event this plane crash it happened almost directly over top of this place called the confluence which we referenced off the top massively significant for humans across for thousands of years the humans that have been in that area and the indigenous peoples of that area and maybe even more maybe even some sort of prehistory going on um, in this area as well. Not to interrupt you there, but I just think we should explain like what a confluence means. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. Which is actually kind of hilarious because I will just say, I have a personal anecdote here. <laughs> when I was uh, just recently, a couple months ago, trying to come up with some brand copy for a brewery that we were involved with and still are to this day, but we're trying to come up with a, a, some sort of, some sort of like, element something they wanted to go very west coast they want to be very natural they're on you know on on the coast there and and there's this confluence this river confluence that's right in their neighborhood like they're probably hundreds of meters away from it neck of the woods and it's just and it very much has to do with like the the coquitlam river and the the port coquitlam is where it's located and and i had this whole concept kind of derived from the idea of this confluence this coming together Mm -hmm. and this like you know the the idea of two becoming one and things like that it's a very beautiful thing and and (laughs) and you're all probably wondering how the hell do you tie that into a brewery (laughs) (laughs) anyways it's bc people it was shut down i will say that it was the word confluence was too long of a word they thought it was too complicated well so they scrapped it you know, but then i actually included it in one part of the copy in the brand <laughs> just snuck it in there anyway you i was like because oh, it annoys me because i guess i come from wine so it's like the longer the word the better you just like the con the concept of the confluence is amazing which we and still haven't was, given although i think i did off well, the top it is. Of the show. i don't the, know if you did actually a meeting of 
two rivers, basically. Yes, right? it's the, the, the it's little Colorado and the Colorado. And the mighty Colorado that yeah. carved out the Grand Canyon. And Kincaid <laughs> makes reference to steps leading up to the cave at the time when the water would have been at that level. So that's mm. another thing, too, actually, I kind of forgot to do. And I actually forgot. Sorry, guys. Uh, great research on Andrew's part here. Maybe we can come back to that question because I forgot to really dig into looking at the geology and the water levels and being able to judge roughly. It's like, when would people have, what what year would it have been when it was there? Mm. So we're like, okay, sweet. It's 3000 BC. People are chilling in this. Mm. We need to call Dana back again. Episode two. <laughs> Crazy, right? But anyway, coming back to this confluence, like over 10,000 years, this has been a significant place for the indigenous peoples here. And still to this day, both the locals, like indigenous people that know of it and it's taught, and just people who have no idea what it is at all that have gone to visit the Grand Canyon are inexplicably drawn to this place, even if you weren't going looking for it or anything like that. And the Hopi, the lo- the Hopi, they basically say that they go there for spiritual guidance. It's almost kind of like a place where like a shaman would pr- would do a ritual or something even right in back in the day is kind of how i picture it right they go there for guidance and they do believe it's very spiritually central to them because of a specific rock a dome formation that is supposedly their origin yeah Mm -hmm. which we actually make reference to in a little bit i have yeah i have the story there but the point of referencing the confluence here is that it's really close we believe to where kincaid allegedly discovered this cave and it's where many people have gone missing and where many strange things happen. So we're, we're, what we're building on here is whether or not this potentially ties into either Kincaid seeing the cave, finding the cave, whether or not it was even there at all. And I don't mean that in terms of it being a hoax. I mean that in terms of it being a point that you can't always access. Uh, and not just because it's 1,500 feet up. Maybe he wasn't supposed to, and it was just the right timing. And I have a story to go along with that, but... Basically, the elders of the Hopi that exist today, it's they talk about this place as a place of transference, where you can come and go, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Where you're coming and going from is up for debate, but that would definitely tie into potentially artifacts being in a place they shouldn't be thousands of years earlier than they could have been. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely take that quite literally. It also plays into a lot of, like, the the mythology and, like, the folklore and the, the stories, right, that yes. form the origins of these peoples. And this rock in particular, Sipapu, Sip, oh my gosh, Sipapu. The Sipapu? Sipapu. Is what they actually call it. And when I looked it up, it was the spelling is different. It's like Sipapuni. And I'm like, okay, well, they were saying it differently in this one uh, reference. But anyways, okay. it is a geologic uh, limestone dome formation. So it's very like, it's like kind of like very soft sort of like dome to it. Mm-hmm. And basically, yeah, the Hopi legends do speak of it as this origins rock, a place from which the fourth peoples merged. And... It was very interesting. I pulled this up from uh, the Arizona State University, and they were talking about how, yeah, exactly that. It is a geologic dome that's built up from mineral deposits of a spring on the banks of the Little Colorado. And basically, it plays into the mythology. It says that basically these peoples emerged from the third world through the hole in the top of the Sipapu, which, again, kind of plays into the reference that I think the Astonishing Legends 
Link was referring to, right? This mm-hmm. idea that there was something pierced through the top. Right. And then they emerged out through, which is kind of cool. And, like, I was looking into more of this, right, because I was just fascinated, of course. And there was, in the First People's website, they had this ant people story. And it sounds kind of weird, but it was kind of referencing these half-bug, half-human people known as the Anusimon. And they actually emerged from the depths of this rock and helped the Hopi people in their times of need. And it's kind of interesting. There was like three times total of these like upheavals and cataclysmic like reformations of the world. And and it was, the first one sounded like a meteor or some sort of like fire mm-hmm. of cataclysmic proportions. So it sounds like almost the thing that wiped out the dinosaurs. Yeah. Or something like that. You know it what totally I mean? It totally does. And then the, there was another one. It, was, it sounded more like uh, of earthquakes and ice. It could have been an ice age. And then the third was of a water or flood event. So all very like classic tropes hey and, and they occur in a lot of cultures and just in recorded history and events that we know like going back mm-hmm. to our great flood episode that literally happened that's what uh, i'm talking and, about yeah. yeah yeah so they were actually they're like recorded in history or they Geologic play history, into anyway, yeah like floods and, stuff. and obviously there's no dates on these right, stories right. there's nothing like that so it's just very interesting to think that this obviously forms a part of this connection between this rock and the confluence area of the canyon. It is significant when you're considering locations that are put forth by various theorists, uh, people such as Jack Andrews and co. And he he has his own ideas on this thing. And of course, oh, Andrew, yeah. I was just going to say yeah. uh, as well that this, you know, the Hopi are the modern descendants, like I, I already made reference to, of the ancient Anasazi people and whoever they possibly descended from. And mm-hmm. one of the, because the, the uh, again they're they're one of these classic stories where it's like what happened to the Anasazi? They disappear. Why did they abandon their mm-hmm. homeland? They vanish. That kind of thing, right? And I think one of the theories that is more fantastical is directly tied to these ant people and what you've just described, where they were helped in, in times of need. The the mm-hmm. descendants mm-hmm. of the Anasazi, where perhaps they went back down from their, their origin. Their, and mm-hmm. people brought them back down through the systems into the lot, underground. There's a lot of interesting things you can, like, interpret from that. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people, even this one guy that we've, we will reference again in this, but he, a man named John Rhodes, and he's, like, kind of like the reptilian underlord theorist. Well, that, kind of you thing. should just read this. But, thing yeah, <laughs> he has a lot of more extremist alternative ideas, and he gets into ideas of, reptilian subterranean just say it just stop mumbling it because you don't want to say it literally this is what she does all the time anytime anything like this comes up it's, it's like a, it's she a, won't even say let it. me say it then it's a Yell complex it. conspiracy of subterranean reptilian overlords that manipulate the rolling classes and that is ridiculous you could barely I don't even get that out of your mouth i because i feel like barfing as soon as i say that but i'm just <laughs> there is entire like but there's like there's, there's the underground world of LA apparently with these reptilian right. passageways and uh-huh. all sorts of crazy shit when you start getting into that stuff and like I'm not buying into that. Pro- you have to convince me very. Sp- I'm gonna be the guy on the lawn with the chair and the desk that's like convince me that the reptilians exist. Oh, so like, you're saying that it wasn't <laughs> that the 109 truckloads that were that were carted out? It wasn't going to the reptilians. I I think that was probably just rock material. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great, though, if someone literally saw that right after the article came out and, like, that's what they said? They're like, there was all these trucks, and it's like, Mm. they were that into the story? I mean, maybe. (laughs) And here's me just like, oh, no, they're probably just excavating some quartz. Okay, so that's the other thing, too, though. It's like, I I think there's a reference of it later uh, later down, but mining gold was illegal. 
in the Grand Canyon at this time. You couldn't mine gold. Uh, Teddy, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt. I gotta put on my mm-hmm. old timey radio voice here. G.E. Kincaid arrested for mining gold in the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want to talk about these quote unquote ant people because I thought that was very interesting and it does play into this idea of like, all, like just just the idea of like cooperation and communication with maybe different, just literally just a different tribe. And then maybe there were more subterranean and they did live mm-hmm. in these caves and then the Hopi Indians were in connection with them. And maybe they were the ones that built this stuff that G.E. Kincaid's coming across. You know what I mean? Maybe. Or it's just kind of like, maybe that's that's one way you could interpret that. I'm not saying they were reptilian or that they were actually ant people. There are very weird like pictographs of like how they look they don't really look very human but it's just like that you just don't over interpret it yeah like is it just a reference because obviously ants live underground they make ant holes and they dig colonies is this just like their reference to that right like exactly yeah it's just you know that was that was kind of cool though i thought that was kind of interesting and it does kind of play into again right underworld's cave life and then peoples and manipulation of environments and all in this area right so it kind of plays into that and i do want to touch more into jack andrews and his investigations and he's supposedly gone on quite a few hikes and journeys into this area not has he now he has he well not into this specific area but he's done the grand canyon quite a number of times mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. has his own very interesting connection to it i want to kind of touch on the losing of things the lost artifacts the alleged delivery to the smithsonian because it's so frustrating because 109 truckloads aside amber doesn't like that number it's too large it's too many trucks take some of these back there's no way there could be that many (laughs) trucks they were allegedly delivered to washington but of course they go missing so you know, what else has gone missing from this place, right? Like, we've talked about this before, where allegedly in the cases of, like, giants being found, their bones go missing, right? Um, other just straight, like, Native American artifacts, like you've made reference to, like, that they they don't necessarily change the timeline, but they maybe were, like, just, they were of less interest. They were just kind of like, oh, okay, well, yeah, move on to the next one, possibly, right? Mm-hmm. Things do go missing, and whether that's just from poor cataloging or from genuine agendas and manifest destiny if it's 1909 i think that's entirely Mm -hmm. true there are some interesting areas of the park as well that allegedly parks personnel aren't even allowed to actually go to so park rangers allegedly aren't actually allowed to go there and you have to get special clearance to go there and most of the time like when i read that i was like that much must just mean you need special permits apply for a permit Mm -hmm. apply for a permit and go which is totally a thing for special research teams but it does seem like there are still some areas where you can't apply for permits. So it's still pretty it's closed off. Whether or not it's for safety concerns, they say that it's for uh, protecting uh, uh, endangered species, for hmm. um, keeping keeping the park like peaceful and stuff like that, right? Because they don't want like drone activity now and things like that. You know like that it's going to disturb like eagles in the nest, like that kind of shit. You know what that reminds me of? Like what? Reminds me of that Smithsonian article I pulled up last night about the Oh, <laughs> yeah, perfect time to bring that up. I'm sorry, I was just like, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> it was malarkey. <laughs> it was pure malarkey, and I have an actual note that I wanted to say at the very end of this episode, right. just to touch on that, and we will put that up on our socials feed. Maybe we'll put it on the Facebook group, mm-hmm. okay? Because it was very ridiculous. <laughs> it was, and it, def- it doesn't do any favors snow, to the believability. snow slag avalanche. Ridiculous. Anyway, sorry, I'm not getting into it. But it does remind me of that sort of ridiculousness. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Officially I mean, officially protecting bats? Like, what do you, what? Yeah, like, there's bars across some of these cave entrances, apparently. Uh, some of them, if you get there, they're collapsed, and it's sort of dubious as to whether or not they're collapsed naturally or if they've been sealed off, hmm. which is strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the people who are making these references too aren't very, it's not very specific. And it's like, well, who are you? When were you there? How, how do you know that there's bars here? Because I tried to find some photos and you, you can't, I, I couldn't find photos of these collapsed caves or, or barred up mm-hmm. caves in the Grand Canyon. And just so everyone knows, if you do go Googling for any images related to Kincaid's cave, every single thing you see online is not anything having to do with Kincaid's cave. Like, there's a few websites out there that literally say, this is an artifact found from Kincaid's cave. It's not at all. There's a cave. It's the Marble Cave or something uh, from Marble Canyon. It's like Hudson's Cave or, or something, something like that. that. It is not Kincaid's cave. Yeah, Hudson's Cave, I think it is, if I'm not mistaken. But I actually didn't come across any, like, websites that were claiming that they actually had artifacts or anything. I did come across some of Jack Andrews's photos where he says right at the bottom, he's like, these were all created digitally. And he he created them and kind of made artistic interpretations or renderings Mm, of what it mm -hmm. could look like. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Just for the sake of it. Right. That that was the only thing I saw. And then obviously, yeah, many pictures of that one little like cave entrance. It looks like it's just like, you know, like a few meters or so or 10 meters up a a little sheer rock face. Which wouldn't be that hard to get to, I guess. No, no, it's not. Bats, hey, they're protecting bats. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, obviously, like, this canyon in particular makes up the majority, it, like, has a record of the majority of Earth's geologic record. Yeah. A lot of the rocks that make up uh, the canyon are actually metamorphic in nature. They're very compressed. They've been stratified into a lot of different layers, and they're very obvious when you go and look. It's kind of cool. These types of rocks, because of the amount of heat and pressure and things they're subjected to, they are actually known for extruding large electromagnetic fields. Large. So large. They're large. <laughs> They're strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, they must be because they <laughs> made two planes collide in the 50s, potentially. Potentially. That still has not been explained. It has been proven. But I did make a note of saying that perhaps this could be a critical factor that does contribute to these gravitational and magnetic anomalies that are experienced in the canyon. There's a lot of, you know, compasses not working right and all sorts of weird stuff. And, of course, like you said, the midair collision back in the 50s, was it, or 70s? I can't remember now. Well, and uh, electromagnetic fields, doesn't that harken back to a recent episode we've discussed? Teleportation. Yeah, yeah. For me, I was more so thinking about the other national park example, that Big Bend, which uh, is pretty cool and it's a little less fantastical than the one you just referenced there. But I thought that was very interesting way they described how the electromagnetic field there is so strong that it regularly, I'm talking daily, attracts meteors known as these like oh, miniature shit. meteors. And they appear as small fireballs that crash into this zone. And they're drawn there. So basically, what? because of the extra gravitational pull, I think, of the, all the electromagnetic field, it, like, pulls them into Earth's gravitational, like, orbit. And then it kind of, like, it is like a magnet. It goes, and then they all go there. That's and so cool. it's crazy. It's been reported to damage cattle, property, 
all sorts of things. And people see them and they're like, holy shit, that's like a fireball just like <laughs> flying through the air. Aquilele like, is coming. Could you imagine seeing that? I kind of want to go camp at Big Bend National Park. I do too. Mm-hmm. I mean, do do we though? I mean, we want some of these some of these national parks, man, they've got some strange stuff going on. I'm pretty sure we mm-hmm. would disappear. But again, right, it just the point I was trying to make there is the fact that it could contribute to a spiritual essence that people mm-hmm. could physically and like metaphorically feel or so metaphor- me- metaphysically is maybe so, so yeah so this is a scientific explanation for the feelings of whatever potentially of why like, people were drawn to that area right like you said right when they're there yeah mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. i mean that's also <laughs> again i'm always reminded of other episodes like when we talk about this too because it's like that's almost like you know, if, because the because uh, the indigenous peoples talk about this place is like it's 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 for healing, it's for a transference of knowledge. It's like all these different things can happen here. And when you're talking about electromagnetic fields and possibly it being ley line locations and other energy fields of the earth, it's almost like reminds me of Oregon energy a little bit or something. Hmm. It's like maybe there is something natural going on here that was accumulates here. Yeah, or? that accumulates there hmm. to the extent that perhaps it took the blindfold off of a, a 1G Kincaid to see something that could never be seen again, quite possibly. Although, how would they have the article about S.A. Uh, Jordan going there and <laughs> finding all this other all stuff? All the other people, yeah, exactly. Hmm, that complicates things a little right. bit. Right. Although, um, it is a funny open admission of doing something outright illegal, because here we are with the date that I was trying to find a second ago, 1908, Teddy Roosevelt ah. uh, made extraction of gold from the Grand Canyon illegal. He did not make... Extracting archaeological finds illegal, though. No. Maybe that's why why he was saying it was copper and an unknown alloy, because he didn't want to claim it was gold. (laughs) Why would you tell anyone then, though, if you found a big gold hoard, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but the thing about this that's interesting, though, is, like, it actually, and this is, again, this is me, Andrew, kind of grasping at straws, but I'm trying to, like, I'm drawing black lines here, people. I'm trying to connect the dots. And if gold mining or looking for gold was illegal the year before the first article came out and this expedition happened perhaps his association loosely with the smithsonian is a very quick easy cover for doing something you shouldn't be doing Mm -hmm. and that definitely makes sense to me because Mm -hmm. we have the reference of charlie cluster from the story of the lost ship of the mojave who quite likely that he was a real person definitively a real person definitively went looking for this ship and quite likely made the story up to gather interest and some extra help in what was just his own personal search for gold. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that is exactly what we were dealing with here. And that's, that's what people, that's definitely a, a tactic that people used back in the day. You make yourself sound legit enough, you find something interesting enough, you've maybe already got a bit of an association with the Smithsonian, so it's it would it, it would be the perfect storm mm-hmm. of being able to hmm. get a free ride to get some gold where you shouldn't be getting gold. It's like the perfect scheme. But then how do you get away with it, ultimately? Well, you'd have to be sneaking off at night, I guess, and putting the, <laughs> putting the nuggets in you. I, I don't know. Or, part, I don't or know. you literally have an agreement with the people you're going into this expedition with and be like, all right, we'll split this. Like, Yeah, they're like, screw Roosevelt. We're, mm-hmm. we're cashing it. Maybe. Maybe. Academics, though. You have to remember that. Maybe they're in it for the artifacts, but... The gold is a plus. <laughs> I wonder, right? I mean, they say team of 30 or 40. It's like, we're just, was it Jordan and a couple other academics and it's just the team? Well, it was, was some team? of the team like mule drivers and yeah, things like, like that? Yeah, exactly. Or are they they're like just, unskilled labor? Yeah. What's going on here? And are they to be trusted? They were probably all just left in the cave. All right, all they right. They sealed it up. 
<laughs> that's what happened? That's what happened. In that's the, why there's no the, G. Kincaid, because he just, like, after they were done, they were just like, you know what, you're, you're staying too. <laughs> there's no byline. He didn't write it out right because he wasn't there. He disappeared. <laughs> Actually, right? Well, we weren't ever able to find him. Or, mm-hmm. Well, other people were. I mean, that's basically where we're at here in this story is who is G.E. Kincaid? Because if this is real, and my God, do I want this to be real? You know, Kincaid's referred to in these documents as a part-time or contract or casual employee of the Smithsonian Institute. And the Smithsonian outright denies this, right? They outright deny that anyone by the name of Kincaid has worked for them, (laughs) and even more specifically and on the nose in the many requests for information on this story, they outright just say, well, no Egyptian artifacts have ever been discovered, or, or Tibetan or any Eastern artifacts like this have ever been discovered in North America. So therefore, I can tell you that this expedition never took place and that King, mm-hmm. this Mr. Kincaid didn't exist. That's not true. <laughs> first first of all, there's lots of different things now in 2021 where, where pre-Columbian contact, definitely Eastern pre-Columbian mm-hmm. contact as well, is, if not definitive, very close to being definitively proven in a lot of cases. Well, I, it definitely was proven. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, the like Vikings even, were over here. And there's no, I'm, 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 I'm talking Eastern, though. That's what I said. Oh, so oh like, sorry. So sorry. like when we when we well, even the the anchors off the coast of California. Eh, like it's debated, like that. right? But like, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but my 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 point to this though, and again, like the Smithsonian is always just so hardline. No, no, no. Didn't know him. Never existed. It's like, okay, guys, like. If this, and this is my point, if he really did exist and he's just some part-time guy or he's not an academic, he's not a doctor, he's not actually on the books and it's 1909, is he actually going to be in records of the Smithsonian as someone employed by the Smithsonian? Like probably not. They can't even freaking keep, keep hold of their artifacts, (laughs) let alone records of like the part-time janitor in the one section from 1902. Like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Who was the janitor Smithsonian in 1911 at that department? Do you have it on record? (laughs) Probably not. Oh, you don't keep very good records then, do you? You don't even know who worked for you. He could have stolen some shit. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like it's like, it's just kind of, it's kind of just a sad, like anyway, I digress. Um, or do I digress? Do you well, want to just pick up here for me? I'm just, I'm just all hot now. He's like, yeah, you are hot. I don't, I'm trying. I don't know. Okay. Andrew, <laughs> okay, everybody. <laughs> Calm down Andrew, here, take bro. Take a deep breath. Smithsonian's not going anywhere. It's okay. We'll find the giant bones. Mm-hmm. We'll find the Smithsonian. Okay. We'll find the Kincaid artifacts. It's gonna be okay. Okay. The one thing that is important to note, to the credit of the Smithsonian, is that we have two different spellings of Mr. Kincaid's name in these two mm-hmm. articles. In the first one, we have uh, Kincaid spelled with a K, K-I-N-K-A-I-D, and in mm-hmm. the second, spelled with a C, mm-hmm. Kincaid. Now, is this just a misprint? Is this a mistake? You know, to me, again, Andrew, it's like anytime there's a mistake, Amber rolls her eyes because it's like, to me, a mistake is legitimate. <laughs> kind of legitimacy in a way it's like is this just sort of like they were hammering out articles every week in this paper Mm -hmm. was this just like a quick someone trying to do an interest piece from someone like a story they were actually getting and just misspelled this guy's name because for consistency's sake of a hoax you'd probably would spell it the same you'd think Hmm. that's just me or it's just lazy writing well that's I guess. I mean, they weren't that lazy with the rest of it, though. I mean, how lazy? Lazy proofreading, not lazy writing. Yeah. I suppose. They say. had no editor, clearly. The Phoenix <laughs> Gazette didn't <laughs> didn't have an editor. I don't know. 
doesn't I mean, work that way. No, I don't know. It, it, I guess, yeah, you could argue either way. Right. If, the, it's, if it's a made-up name, then... Or maybe it was two authors. Ooh. Actually, yeah. I mean, that does bring us bring me to the next thing, is the GE part. And this was a, you know, a major point of discussion on in the Astonishing Legends episode as to, you know, what the hell is this guy's first name? Mm-hmm. Is it Gene? Is it Gary? Is it... Gerald, is it, you know, what what is it, right? Like, it's it's going to be damn near impossible to find this guy unless he was using an alias. Like, is this an alias? That's the that's the kind of thing that makes the most sense to me. I mean, I know it's 1909. I know it's when people were saying, say, but, and calling themselves GE and TO and this and that, but it's like maybe just using initials was for anonymity. Mm-hmm. Well, needless to say here, like, the astonishing legends never found him. I don't think we ever found anything that no, was more conclusive. No, no, I tried. And I couldn't find I him. I don't think, yeah, I, I, I think that it's just one of those things where it's really important. Even my own freaking relatives I'm trying to find on Ancestry.ca. And it's like, you know what? That's even hard. <laughs> like, come on. Like, it's not. Well, and it's because of the initials. And, like, I think I think Scott made that reference, too, mm-hmm. when he was looking on, on Ancestry when they were doing their search. It's basically like, you know, you... It, it would still just be speculation because even if you found a Gerald Ernest Kincaid mm-hmm. and then you also found a one another one that was a gene something like but which was he one the is first it? born in Idaho right right that's a good question but yeah I mean I guess the po- the main point I was just trying to make with all that is just that like it he easily could have been working under a false name and the Arizona Gazette mentions that he was looking for the mineral and like i already said like maybe this was a whole reason for him to use a false name create a weird story try to get some funding all that kind of thing but of course there's this second character this Mm -hmm. professor s.a jordan he's the only other name referenced really yeah well i mean we do like you you teased this though you teased my real good find where there is another kink there is another kincaid reference the name kincaid comes up a few other times but ge doesn't Mr. Kincaid. Mr. Kincaid. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's like, you know, I mean, it's the turn of the century. Record keeping maybe isn't what it is today. You know, not everyone's going to be on record. I mean, if you don't end up being like a famous archaeologist or having a famous find where it's stolen from you, perhaps, you're not going to go down in history. You might, the article might, but you won't. Mm. And I don't know. No, that's interesting. I do have another point I'll reference and. Supposedly another Mr. Kincaid that made another very fabulous okay. discovery. So, okay, awesome. You know. <laughs> so, but I did find some really interesting stuff here on this alleged Professor S.A. Jordan. So, Dr. Jordan or Professor Jordan was, by all suggestions in these articles, supposed to be like a direct employee of the Smithsonian Institute or at least some academic institution that was directly associated with the Institute, hmm. right? Or at the very bare minimum, like a professor that was adjacently working with someone, right? He had he was linked somehow, right? <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is the um, is a professor from Tintin. <laughs> <laughs> professor he's always, Well, yeah, he's always just working with other random governments all over the world That's and doing all sorts of weird stuff. And you're just like, what the heck? Why are you over here doing moon stuff with the what was not the Swiss? Some crazy thing right. that I don't remember. That. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. I love that. Oh, Tintin. Cuthbert Calculus. That's right. What a name the too. Calculus. But of course the. The official line, once again, from the Smithsonian Institute is, and these are a couple of quotes, I'm just going to read them. No Egyptian artifacts of any kind have ever been found in North or South America. The Smithsonian Institute has never been involved in any such excavations, and no record of Professor S.A. Jordan or G.E. Kincaid exist anywhere in the records. Another goes on to say, um, from this was an article from... um, 
oh gosh, I actually don't have, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again in a sec, but it, it, it just, again, is to just hammer home the point that several professional inquiries into this matter uh, 10 years ago were made uh, to the Smithsonian authorities that this was, in, and where they state that this was indeed a hoax. And the fact that there is no record of any pre- Professor S.A. Jordan ever existing or even being associated with the Smithsonian hmm. Institute proves this essentially. Hmm. Okay. So they outright say, no, Professor Jordan. No this, no that. Once again, it's just so hardline. It's not like someone at a desk being like, hey, that's weird. Maybe I'll look at that. Let's, let's check. You know what I mean? It's just so hardline. Because interestingly enough, there are a couple of Professor Doctor Jordans that are academic scholars, although the first does, once again, like Kincaid, have a different spelling of the name. It's mm, with an yeah. O, not an A. But... We've already seen one misspelling. Is this just a misreference? Anyway, it probably wasn't him. But surely enough, he is an archaeologist, uh, a European archaeologist, though, not an American one. Hmm. And by all accounts, never made any expeditions to the Grand Canyon, but was alive at the time. So, okay. All right, Smithsonian. You clearly had never heard of this guy. Otherwise, you might have been like, oh, maybe you're, maybe it's just a misnomer. Maybe they're, Maybe this is someone who just decided to use this guy's name. As a hoax, right? Like, didn't even check. Okay, mm-hmm. that's Andrew getting upset again. Whatever. So, sorry. Can, so, this Professor Jordan did work with the Sicilian? Is that what you're saying there? Or? No, I'm so, so I haven't got to that one yet. So, this is the... Here's a European essay, Jordan. He was an archaeologist, but he'd never worked with the Smithsonian. I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. sorry, sorry. Okay. And, of course, even if he did, the Smithsonian would probably be like, never heard of the guy. Mm-hmm. All right. So, all of this is dubious. Right? This is totally dubious to me because there is actually another Jordan. Mm-hmm. And this Jordan is actually linked to the Institute. And his name is spelled J-O-R-D-A-N. His initials are S-A. It's literally S-A Jordan. Like, and S-A? With, or David Starr. Yeah, so, I, so I'll get to that. Don't worry. This is So, so why is, is everyone so quick to say no S-A Jordan has ever existed? Literally, like, he comes up instantly on a google search i know there's no google search for the smith back then but this guy i'm about to refer to would easily have been the source of confusion so this guy's name was david star jordan s-t-a-r-r but he actually changed his middle name to star later on and i don't know exactly i don't know exactly what his name was i don't know if it was a situation where like you're named Sam, but people call you something else or like whatever. But when you Google essay, like this guy comes up, he was the founding president of Stanford University. He served there from 1891 to 1913. And he, how do you pronounce this, uh, Amber? It's the, you, you research oh God. fish. Um, Ichthologist? Ichthologist? Anyway, studies fish, all right? Mm-hmm. He also for a time served as the president of Indiana University. And This is where it gets really weird from the Smithsonian, because why would you not say this? He was affiliated with the Smithsonian Institute for over 30 years, from the 1880s till about 1910. So right when the article came out, Mm -hmm. but still associated with it. And he's actually in the records of the Smithsonian as well. He's in their official records. Jordan did a couple of different trips dedicated to the study of fish, and indeed did expeditions up the Colorado River into the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. doing samples from the river. So he wasn't studying artifacts. He no, was but he was, fish. like, not officially, but, like, this like this is pretty on-the-nose type stuff here, guys. Like, mm-hmm. he was there, he fits the so dates, why? Af- associated with the Smith. Okay. Why would he have been denied, then? 
bizarre. So, th- so this is this is my theory on it, right? According to uh, a Stanford University Press release, Jordan actually made an expedition down the Grand Canyon for presumably research into fish in 1898, but he was accompanied by someone on record by the name of T. Kincaid. This, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. He made an expedition down the Grand Canyon in 1898, and on a separate expedition, mm-hmm. right before that, he was accompanied by someone by T. Kincaid. Sorry, misnomer there. On an expedition to Alaska. So he was with a T. Kincaid in Alaska from, from uh, Stanford University, and then also made a trip up the Grand Canyon in 1898. Hmm. That's a weird juxtaposite. Like, that's, those are the names we're working with here. Mm-hmm. Like, that's very curious to me. Yeah, it is kind of curious. A separate expedition to Alaska, they don't, or no, they don't have the year for that one, eh? The f- Grand Canyon expedition was 1898. Yeah, so so like a decade before this story comes out, right? So like Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily align, but maybe was the find actually then? And then this was like leaked later by someone who was just like, oh, I found the tiny nugget of like a cool story and I'm just going to print it in the paper because I need to write something sweet. Oh, yeah, that's kind of interesting the way that could have played out. And if you think about it, like if they're going to Alaska, what are they doing there? Like my first thought is obviously gold, but... Maybe not. Maybe there's lots of fish out that way. Who knows? Well, that's just it. Maybe this guy had kind of multiple <laughs> Who, interests. Right? Who's like T? You're sorry. Who's T Kincaid? Teddy. Teddy Kincaid. I'm gonna go Teddy with Kincaid. Teddy Kincaid. He's out to look for some fish too. What are they? Salmon troutin. Salmon troutin. <laughs> salmon troutin. Oh, that's I an official. <laughs> that's an official term, man. We're, salmon troutin. We got to put that on a shirt. Into the portal. Salmon troutin. It's the brand new style of fishing. It's catch a two fish at once, man. <laughs> Two-headed fish. Yeah, damn. Half of it's a trout, half of it's a salmon. Cryptid, hey, cryptid fish. That's how, I, that would make for a decent mug or something, actually. Okay, but to I make... I think I was, like, thinking of trawling. That's what you were thinking of. I, that's definitely what you were thinking of. That I'm, should be, like, a new drinking game for people when they listen to the show. <laughs> Every time Amber fucks up a word. <laughs> go, just go. Just going uh, to be drinking constantly, man. Mm. Never going to end. Basically. Honestly, you could play a drinking game in this episode with just Andrew getting pissed at the Smithsonian Institute, too, because, like, it gets worse, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, with this, because there was also some suggestions in various different articles that I came across that were basically saying that this Jordan from Stanford University was actually potentially going to work for the Smithsonian, um, Mm -hmm. like, full-time, not just adjacently. Uh, And apparently in 1906, I don't know if... I didn't go crazy deep with this, you guys, but... Apparently in 1906, he was offered a job uh, in this word I can't pronounce properly, like dedicated to fish research Mm -hmm. and continuing his expeditions under the funding of the Smithsonian Institute. And this is why he is so prominently found in Smithsonian publications from the 1800s. But after this, they started to distance themselves from him. Super xenophobic, xenophobic, just like crazy racist, Mm -hmm. suit like big he was really into the research of like um anyway basically all the same stuff the nazis were into right like um oh my god what's the word like eugenics Mm -hmm. and like that kind of stuff like he was proponent of that and they started to distance himself the smithsonian distanced themselves from sa jordan because of all this stuff maybe just the records really got separated but it's like wow this is all like, I, I don't even know. Like, this is... They, they clearly were involved with a Professor S.A. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Clearly. A guy that existed exactly at the same time as this stuff was going on. And 
was in the Grand Canyon. Mm. But they were maybe specifically... It could have been, like, the Smithsonian is one of the largest research conglomerates in the entire world, like, organizations. They have so many different departments. This is something that they actually touched on in the episode on Astonishing Legends, where they said, like, you know, this could have been a statement issued by a specific department of the Smithsonian Institute claiming to have no knowledge of any of this stuff whatsoever when maybe a different department actually knows about it and it's a right. secret department with a higher clearance and then la 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 and the CIA does this all the time apparently so I do think that it is very intriguing to say the least and it's it's just one of those things right where it's like well maybe this was an attempt to smear Jordan because he was such a racist dick mm-hmm. that they were trying to separate from Pretty so sure it's 1909 I mean maybe someone was just like wow screw this guy. Let's let's throw his name into an article that's going to lump him into a hoax. Oh, you mean the inclusion of him in yeah. the original articles? Yeah. Oh, not the fact that they're denying any association. No, hmm. that, that, that he, he was chucked hmm. into the original articles as some sort of a way to associate with him with something that was outlandish, I guess. I, 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 that's just me speculating. And that would be from alternate sources, right? It wouldn't come from the Smithsonian because they wouldn't want any attention drawn to any sort of person of no, that nature. someone who was jaded against Jordan and the Smithsonian, potentially. <laughs> um, I guess we can get into some other things here. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's what we call in the biz here, folks, a professional segue <laughs> that Amber just laid down for us there. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, though. We should definitely move on into, into some other really important, like, just sections here of the episode. Honestly, like, we're, it's kind of crazy. We've, this is a long one here we're bringing out, you guys. But mm-hmm. we're getting into some, some serious details here that, to me, is the meat, the meat of it. But before we move on, though, I did just want to be, to cap off all the Jordan talk, I just wanted to be super, super clear that it is quite obviously a total reach for me to be saying that this this guy like star jordan was like the dude from stanford was the actual you know literal essay jordan because i don't think that he was hmm. um yeah, it's even kind of though, a reach. and his name's not a perfect match either just like the misspellings of kincaid in the two articles right but it's damn close and the timing works and all of that stuff so for there to be no mention at all you know as a possible misnomer or at least referenced by the smithsonian because he was in the archives i feel it's just plain lazy but a curious mm. side note you know, according to early census records, this was the just in the response to your reference to his name. Star was not his given middle name. He changed his name a few different times. Uh, only one of them I could find on record. He, he changed it legally later in life to Star. So his middle initials swapped hmm. around a couple of times. Okay. Um, but of course, but we don't... 1909 was later in his life, so it, it wasn't the same guy. It's not the guy. But I'm just saying, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very it's just, similar name. It is curious, though, that they might not have included that. Star, like, so we don't have anything other than Star Jordan. There's no... It's David Star Jordan is what oh, David officially Star, right. reference name is Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, he did say If you thing. search SA, he will come up in a search. Uh, his middle initial was S and may have been multiple other different things mm-hmm. and obviously people have multiple like middle names you know what i mean like yeah today so it's like sa could have been could have worked, could've there, worked there might have been some crossover you know it some ancient artifacts some fish studies you know like he might have he might have taken a summer to do some extra coursework what if he went into the cave <laughs> and knows? found a perfectly preserved ancient unidentified species of fish Okay, that's what he was after. Find. Okay, he was after that the right. whole time. He was okay. waiting for it. Didn't happen. Maybe so that was did. the whole point of me <laughs> referencing this guy, you guys, just because he did indeed exist, and it's strange mm-hmm. that he wouldn't be mentioned. But yeah. what's even more strange yeah. is 
the naming of some very significant peaks and areas within the Grand Canyon National Park. Yeah. They're absolutely bizarre. Well, I mean, to some, to me, they're a little not, strange. It's, 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 it's so not bizarre. Anachronistic or something. Not anachronistic, but just like almost like misplaced, but yeah, not it's, really. It's almost like when you come across a really weird small town that's named mm-hmm. like... I don't know, like, it's sure. named, like, Little New York or something. And you're like, what is this? Like, what right. are you talking about? Like, or, or, like, you know, it's just like a, it's a, it's an off. There's so many Springfields, for example. So let's like, give that's the people kind of the a, names here, because we've been doing this okay, a lot of okay. this episode. Sorry, I'm, I'm already, I'm already things. getting off track here. But yeah, there are some bizarre names. And we did notice this when we were looking at some of the maps of, that were used, right, to identify maybe potential areas where this cave could be located. Right. And there are a lot of, Hopi and uh, also like you know just indigenous words and there's also some strange Egyptian references as well and so there in particular there was like we noticed Osiris, Isis, Shiva, Horus temples mentioned and these are all actually like peaks so if you like google it it'll come up with this like incredible peak that's like a geologic feature in the Grand Canyon National Mm -hmm. Park Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that they would have these awesome names as, a, yeah. as as your grandma would say, okay? she's like, there are very few things in this world that are awesome. Yeah, that was Grand actually an Canyon. interesting. <laughs> you know what? You did bring up Kincaid right after we visited my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Actually, when when cause when she said that, because it's so true, right? That, mm-hmm. that word doesn't get used the same way as it used to, and that's totally what it, what it would have been for these massive so, mountain ranges and peaks. And it's when not you just look Egyptian at either, right? Like no, no, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's there's other things too, like some high points and summits, uh, in particular Haunted Canyon, uh-huh. uh, Trinity Creek. You know, there's all sorts of things going on here. In here too, right? There's like, Marble Canyon too, which is yep. very prominent when we start to talk about uh, Jack Andrews theories and things like that. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So, for, in my opinion, it might have been appropriate just based off of you know, like the look of some of these geologic features. They're very like pyramidal. Like you know, they have like the, the, the harsh peak and almost looks like their sides very similar to the pyramids that mm-hmm. you'll see in mm-hmm. Egypt. But you know what? There's a lot of like it just is just weird, right? It is strange it that is there is strange. all of these things that are similar to what Kincaid and his team allegedly found and described in their, well, in I mean, their come discovery. On, right? I mean, it's like we're we're talking about a story of a potential discovery where artifacts are Eastern, Tibetan, Egyptian, Indian, like Eastern artifacts, possibly, right? And then here we have names predating the like these places were named way before the article came out, obviously, right? And you're going to yeah. get into that, which I find fascinating. That yeah, that's that's a good point to make actually, because these were roughly named in I I believe they would have been named during this like infamous not infamous but the famous Powell <laughs> expedition of infamous. the of the 1800s 1869 <laughs> if I'm not mistaken yes, but it was funded by a man named General John Wesley Powell and sorry not funded it was government funded but led by him right right, right. there you go yeah it, it, it's interesting though because he. Along with this other interesting fellow that I'll mention in a second here, uh, a man named Clarence Dutton, mm-hmm. they might have been the influences behind this. And, you know, this Powell guy is interesting. He was actually also the first director of the Smithsonian's Bureau of Ethnology. Aha. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Also a founding member of the National Geographic Society. That's pretty cool, if you think about it. Yeah, that's To be dope. a founding member, you know, like that's actually... That's really cool. I want to be in that club. No doubt. And he was also a member of the Cosmos Club, which I'm actually not too familiar with, but it sounds yeah. very out of this world. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look into that. I, I did see that referenced a few times and just made me think almost of like a 
yeah, like a highbrow, a little bit, maybe an offshoot of one of mm-hmm. those almost like Masonic type vibe clubs, but like a little bit more out there, possibly. Mm-hmm. I, we got to look into it. That's something to dive deeper we should. into. For it sure. should be like a mini sode. Yeah, or something. yeah, possibly. But you know, it's kind of interesting. It's a curious connection to the Smithsonian. You know, it keeps coming up all the time here. This uh, Powell guy, obviously being one of their first directors, that's a pretty important role. Yeah, and uh, you know, would these features, as they were named, be contributing to perhaps these? This colorful tale the that we are we are it, we yeah. are telling today, kind mm-hmm. of thing. But or is it a reference to something greater that Kincaid and his team possibly stumbled upon? But is it like a clue? It's, yeah. it maybe, maybe I don't know. Really but I will clue. say this, and I'm not sure how familiar this particular fellow that I'm going to mention here, Clarence Dutton, a geologist. I I don't know how familiar he would have been with the Egyptian area, but he was a renowned. Uh, geologist and also known for his, oh my gosh, um, very, what would you call it? Like almost like, um, it's like a blending of literature and scientific description. Oh, it's, yeah. it's a very beautiful way to describe yeah. his um Very colorful his work. descriptions. It was almost like that yeah. guy who described um, the uh, the it's very romantic. circle. Remember that dude who like had that really eloquent description of how special it was? And People yeah. wrote very differently back then about geological features. The romanticism yeah. was a huge element Big in time. the way they described the landscape. Yeah. And yeah, even, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh. John Steinbeck. Ah. I love his descriptions of the landscape. And he came from a very similar... I actually can't remember when he was writing exactly, but in this sort of era, maybe. ITP book we talked about it, you guys. Although we Steinbeck should do it. would probably not be in the first East of Eden. <laughs> East of Eden's a great that. novel. But anyways, he's, he's done it. <laughs> the, the Winter of Our Discontent. Oh, hmm. yes. That's a happy one. <laughs> but getting back to Clarence here, because Clarence was a very interesting fellow. And he actually spent 10 years in geologic research in this Colorado Plateau region. He's known for a bunch of different things. He actually coined the term isostasy, which don't ask me how to define that because I don't have that pulled up right now. <laughs> but he's also known for his monograph on this uh, tertiary history of the Grand Canyon district. And it's he's renowned for his particular charm and, and the way, again, like I said, like these sublime quote unquote landscape descriptions and superb illustrations to accompany them. Mm-hmm. So again, he was a very interesting guy, but I think even more so because of his connection to none other than the first guy we mentioned, John Wesley Powell. And it was only because of this man John, that Clarence decided to drift his interests, as they say, into the world of geology because he was very much involved with literature at Yale. He wasn't really interested in, in the sciences, okay. but he did contribute vastly to what's known as like the popularization of the sciences in, in that era. So it's actually quite a cool contribution. Were these two individuals somehow inspired beyond just the awesomeness of this landscape? You know what I mean? Like it's obviously yeah. this is pure conjecture at this point, but it is very curious, the the whole connection. And when we look at the maps, uh, getting into some another fellow's theory here, Jack Andrews, it, it starts to just look very curious. You know, it's like, it, it's one of those things where it's like, is everything connected? <laughs> it's like is Charlie it with the, the map with all the things on the wall. <laughs> it's like, it sort of is like that with this story. It really is. It's just a big old rabble. But that's why it's so awesome, and that's why it's... it's it is so much fun to speculate on, especially with it be being like sort of a prehistory type story, obviously pre-Columbian type mm. story. But once again, coming back to the Smithsonian, I mean, obviously this guy Powell was associated with them. And if he was indeed one of, if he was the guy out of these two, Dutton and Powell, that named these 
peaks, these or features, these features mm-hmm. the names mm-hmm. of these features that are predominantly Egyptian. There's a few peppered in that are, well, which one was it? I mean, there's a few Indian or possibly mm-hmm. Tibetan references or whatever. But how does that not come up either? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just another thing where it just is very, it's always so dismissive. There's no mm-hmm. one that's like, oh, hey, you're probably just thinking about, that's, it's probably just because of this. That would make sense, right? Like, there's no one that even checks. It's like 15 minutes, man. Like, yeah. wh- why would nobody even say that? How is that not in any of the responses? What do you mean? Like, the, the fact Saying, that there's... hey, you're asking us about Egypt. Like, hardline, never found any mm-hmm. artifacts in North America at all. But, hey, there's this guy that was involved with us in the 18-whatevers, and he named all this stuff. That's probably where this hoax's inspiration is coming from. Oh, okay. So, just, yeah, hey, just there's like, not a very lazy answer. Yeah. There's a solid answer. That's an answer you can walk away with very satisfied. That never came. It never happens. It's always just like, oh, no. Hard line, brick wall, Berlin wall, slam it in the middle, just piss off. Is it just the era, though? Or is it like, where it's like they don't don't feel like they need to offer an explanation? So, ergo, they're just like, it's so ridiculous to them. Like, in this day and age, public criticism is much more prevalent, I would say, right? right? And. You know, like people are. I mean, I am being institutions are more vulnerable. As, I'm also as a being result nitpicky. Like I'll admit that. Like I am being nitpicky a little bit because mm-hmm. I want people to care. Like I want there to be interest in this type of thing. You know, which there is, of course. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, you'd hope there'd be a clerk there, man. That would be like, oh, I'm gonna dig into this, guys. Like, <laughs> I'll get back to you. Slip some of the note. <laughs> Night. You know, maybe it happened. Maybe it happened, and it came out and it got suppressed again. I mean, that's gonna come up mm-hmm. in the theory section. This actual notion of suppressing this because what would be the point and i do think there is a few different points of of doing that potentially yeah but i think this is probably the best time for us to migrate into some theories and try and figure out what the hell's going on here yeah the one thing i did want to come back to though like within this section is this idea of sections of the park being completely off limits possibly even to some part staff and like park rangers Mm -hmm. i did come across an article actually from 2018 uh that sort of goes against this i didn't uh, i didn't go i'm not going to bore you guys with it to the great extent but essentially it was an expedition in 2018 that were given permission and access to several different cave systems within the park so Mm -hmm. it's kind of the opposite of some of the stuff that was said especially like in the astonishing legends 2016 because this was two years after that episode came out even right but they were only going to super selective places it was very much you know biological focus definitely geological focus but purely scientific not really exploratory in any other way i guess you might say and pretty limited so there's still so Hmm. many places so many cave systems that haven't been discovered it's there's a lot of this park that hasn't been looked at, right? Yeah. And the, this article, this particular article mentions a few different interesting places. They actually list a whole bunch that are officially, you know, on the, uh, I think it's actually on the park's website that say these are really off limits, like do mm-hmm. not go here. And I'm not going to list them all because you guys can go check it out. But one of the interesting phrasings was this mention of mines. And according to a few different sources, like they're not really mines at all. They're ancient mines, if you will. They're ancient uh, cave systems and shafts that have been modified by the Hopi natives and their ancestors. And they're just these designated systems that are off limits because they would definitely be dangerous, but also because they're really old and they're of, 
you know, cultural significance for sure, but they represent this lifestyle of wanting to be underground. Hmm. And part of it's super obvious. It's the Grand Canyon. It's really hot at certain times of the year. Yeah. And digging, having shelters within the rock make just makes sense. But they have this this also connection. There's that practical aspect of it, but there's also this notion of them coming, uh, their their origin story coming from underground, and also like rock that Amber mentioned that's yeah. near the confluence and the different things that happen beneath it, and just this sort of desire to like be underground, these like subterranean passages and extend these hiding places of these ancient peoples within the Grand Canyon. And I just find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. This This idea of entire cultures living... Partially like underground. It kind of like reminds the real mole me, people. It's really cool. It's, the mole you know. people. Yeah, yeah. It also does remind me of when we talked about like even the Minoans, like in Crete and stuff, and like how they had yeah. like this connection to the underworld, quote unquote, as they referred to, and like this the, the subterranean realm kind of thing. Like that's kind of neat, and it, is. it makes a lot of sense in both of those regions, obviously, because they are very arid and hot. True, but no, that's the spiritual side of it's kind of cool. I think, but is but I guess the, the again to tie it back to Kincaid is is the point of this also that well these are really easy reasons to tell people not to go there it's dangerous it's of significance oh there's bats you don't want to mess with or is it really more is there something more Mm -hmm. significant than that and some of the legislation doesn't really line up there was a 1987 uh you know piece of legislation passed that restricted certain types of like airspace travel within the canyon and it was supposedly to provide for restoration of the natural quiet experience of the park and these things. And I get that if there's massive yeah. amounts of air travel going over, but at the same time too, is like, it just seems like overkill a little bit. It's like planes are really high up in the air. It's like they're flying over us right here in Kelowna all the time. And it doesn't bother anyone. I mean, the fruits are growing okay in the, on the trees and Is the it, grapes are good. It's funny. They say here it's like for the protection of public health and safety from adverse effects associated with aircraft overflight. Are they protecting the aircraft or the people below? And, and the weird thing about <laughs> and, also, and the weird thing about this too is this is eighty seven. We referenced a one of the worst aviation disasters in history that happened mm-hmm. near the confluence over the Grand Canyon. You know, thirty thirty plus years yeah. before this. Yeah, and I don't know if any legislation was passed right then and there, but I don't think there was a whole lot of travel. We did also have mm-hmm. a reference from a um, one of the um, I can't, there was no name, but a person on the documentary we watched. Or mini mini documentary about the Grand Canyon and this exact story, yeah. and she said that she knew helicopter pilots and different pilots that even they though they are allowed in certain airspaces, yes. they don't fly or they or don't look down. They don't look down. Yeah, exactly. That's what she was referring to there. Because you'll, you know, I don't even know. Just for, just for everyone listening too, like that particular crash for referencing there that was referred to as like at the time the worst aviation disaster in history mm-hmm. was incredibly strange because if i'm not mis- no i'm not mistaken on this i don't know which airport they actually took off of but i know they took from took off from the first the same airport sorry and it was like within three minutes of each other and Is they were right? yeah they were going to totally different cities they should never have intersected their paths right. yet somehow they ended up colliding midair over the grand canyon that was the weirdest part yeah, about that story. Right, right, right above that, the area of the confluence, if, which is also close to the forty-two miles. If my sources from, are correct from the El Tovar Crystal Canyon, where Kincaid allegedly claimed that he found know. this entrance way. And mm-hmm. you know, 
It's like, okay, this is my okay, theory so, on that, yeah. just to, before we move on. Yeah. It's like, what if there was some sort of weird slippage where it's like, because we've talked about some stories and and things that have happened. Actually, no, we haven't gone into the interdimensional portal Oh, yet, I'm getting there. Okay, he's getting there. But, I, okay, once we get to that point, I have some okay. interesting thoughts on sure. the plane crash in particular. Here. Sure, sounds good. I think, yeah, I won't, I won't uh, <laughs> steal your fire. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. <laughs> Maybe we should get into a little bit more mundane things. Or do you have any more points to make on this whole restricted airspace? Well, I guess I, I guess the, just to really well because we're just kind of like grasping at things that seemingly are like way far apart here, like an air crash in the fifties and then Kincaid in nineteen oh nine. Like what the hell? But it's just a lot of weird shit going this, on. Yeah, and it's this notion of like, and even like the quote from that chick saying, "I have the helicopter pilot friends don't look down." It's mm-hmm. almost why wouldn't you look down? It's not like you're literally going to get sucked down. It's almost like it's messing with your head. It's a perception yeah. thing. Yeah. And so I feel like there's like it is all connected here with this stuff because I think it's possible that if there was a person under a false name and not Kincaid or what have you was there, it's possible that what he saw or entered or whatever was either pure hallucination because of the environment you're in or something opened up. And that's something we're Mm -hmm. we're gonna get to here. Of course, the more mundane side of all of this is Indeed, probably the most likely, and that is, is this all a hoax? Let's start there. And I think (laughs) it is the best place to start because we want to end with a bang. Why would you end with, is this all a hoax? And I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you can't tell already, like, I I don't think it's an outright hoax if you want to look at the story in its entirety and not just the articles. Like, I guess I'm also including the notion of pre-Columbian travel, artifacts being found of significance that could be related, and also the naming of these peaks and this interest in Egypt well before the main interest came around, which was King Tut's tomb being discovered, I believe, in the 20s. So it was way far away from that. So these guys were keeners on Egyptology Mm -hmm. and Eastern gods and all that kind of stuff. They were ahead of their time. Especially if they hadn't traveled to that area of the world in particular, right. you know? Exactly. And that would also sort of apply to this gentleman I'm going to reference here, Joseph Mulhattan. Now, Joseph Mulhattan was a, uh, I'm not going to say, inf- he, he was very well liked by his peers, but he was mm-hmm. a well-known and prolific hoax writer author a storyteller storyteller essentially exactly he claimed Pretty harmless that, right absolutely like, harmless mm. he uh actually do i have the quote from him here i'm not sure he had this really awesome quote that was basically like he claimed that his his uh, works were read he was the greatest novelist of all time because he claimed he was writing like basically mini novels mm-hmm. and that his works were read by you know x amount of million people within a day because mm-hmm. they were published in papers and not yeah, books right? exactly and he loved that about his work mm-hmm. and, I, and i love that and the astonishing legends guys did a really good job of chatting about mm-hmm. joseph mohat and i love their take on yeah him. yeah totally and even just to reference their episode too like he would have matched up with this perfectly right i mean it's it, it is totally would be his work like he wrote about all kinds of stuff do we have any references here let's see a lot of like you know like uh, finds of like you know of a great I nature got, right or... he, in, in 1875 he wrote that the bodies of president washington and lincoln were being exhumed and displayed <laughs> at philadelphia's centennial exposition as a way to raise funds for finishing the washington monument <laughs> much to the outrage of some <laughs> right like stuff like that it's almost like yeah. the uh, minnesota Iceman. yeah Three years after that in 77 this is a quote here he he uh, presented a story about Washington's body being disinterred due to some necessary repairs being made at Mount Vernon. Hmm. Man, a lot of body stuff here. 
in <laughs> Texas, another story was supposed to have been penned by Mohattan. Uh, that oh man, it's oh, all bodies. petrified bodies. Anyway, but he was he was very you much know, inspired by P.T. Barnum allegedly. Well, then that to me is like that's very showman like like you know language and mm-hmm. and, and stories and content right mm-hmm. versus what we're looking at this story is just like oh it's just a bunch of weird looking artifacts some strange metal some bodies some mummy bodies and bark we're not like ch- there's like finds of like massive chests of right. gold and jewels and we are cherry picking a little bit there mm-hmm. there was one uh, story he wrote and I don't know if I have the exact date of it here but he does in that one reference. It's about cave systems in Kentucky, and he references a crystal cave hmm. and a riverbed laden with jewels and diamonds. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. That's the jewels and diamonds I'm talking about. So there. that's like, that's like... a little bit more on par. But the Kincaid mm-hmm. story doesn't include jewels. That's and what diamonds. I mean. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's just snaky smells and and just like Artif- very weird artifacts, very lengthy and... descriptions of like you know stuff that's not really like yeah. getting jazzy up that much but it is cool right if, if you're into this whole egyptology stuff and yeah and artifact you know like and, archaeology i should and say and sorry just to be clear here just to give credit uh i butchered some of this quote but um this was information i pulled from uh, historical blindness which is an awesome podcast mm-hmm. definitely go check them out nice and uh, yeah, they're great. So yeah, go yeah, and, definitely. And, and check out all they the stuff. They always do a great do. job. Yeah. But I guess, you know, in 1909, Mulhattan was definitely on the latter stages of his successful hoaxing career. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. You know, he was he was basically a career alcoholic. I think that was the Yeah. He, like many great authors are. Exactly. He uh, <laughs> I'm sure he got a lot of inspiration at the bottom of a of a, mm. of a pint mm-hmm. and he uh or a whiskey bottle yeah so he was he was drunk his whole life but it caught up to him and he was pretty sick apparently in oh, okay. at the turn of the century and in the first decade here so 1909 it may have been his last ditch effort and like that's why it's so different than some mm-hmm. of his other stuff hmm. it's more descriptive in weird ways or he really hammers home one point that's like seemingly mundane to the normal reader that's checking out his body discovery stories or like washington's getting pulled out of the grave you know what i mean because it's pretty there's parts of that second article we read through that are pretty mundane like unless you are genuinely interested in archaeology you're turning the page you know what i mean you're you're not not gonna keep going it's a pretty long article it is we read it we did <laughs> now this Not is long, also, long, this is the know, days before. For an I mean, I don't even know what people do these days. I mean, it is, for a newspaper is long in that day and age. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm not thinking it was Mulhattan, but it there's there's definitely a possibility. But he also came out after the fact for a lot of his stories, if not all of them, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. owned up to them. And owned up to them and took credit for them. He loved it. Mm-hmm. And the papers loved it, too. I mean, era of yellow journalism, they know it's 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 harmless. He, he, he would always say, too, like, <laughs> no one gets hurt by his stories. Yeah. They're fun, and all they really do is make people think. Did he have, like, a pen name, though, or multiple pen names? Because, like, after a while, I'd be like, wow, we can't trust anything this guy's saying. Like, well, you know, I mean, he must this, have. This he must, or anonymously, maybe. No byline in the Kincaid article. Right, exactly. So maybe so it's no byline. why not? Hmm. Someone who definitely does have a byline and likes to take credit for lots of crazy things is a little bit more of a modern character that <laughs> we wanted to reference because... Well, yeah, we've come across this guy before, and yes. I think it was interesting to see him in the, what was it, the Grand Canyon Parks, National National Parks and, and Secrets and Legends, or <laughs> I'm totally butchering that. David Hatcher Childress. Yeah, none other than... <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting Childress guy. Childress or Childress? No, Childress. But yeah, exactly. He has been sort of like the modern forefronter for the, like, basically, like, espousing this as truth. And he did write about this in his 1993 book. 
And this is like, or sorry, not a book. It's an article he wrote. And basically he talked about this uh, front page story of this April 1909 issue of the Phoenix Gazette as if it was entirely, like I said, truth. He kind of is uh, accused, I guess. Um, Some people have said, like Newswire, this particular article I'm referencing here, uh, he's been accused of creating what they refer to as what I think Andrew's actually buying into quite a bit in this episode. (laughs) And it's the the Smithsonian conspiracy. So this is the idea that the Smithsonian Institution has been hiding and withholding evidence that contradicts long-accepted archaeological history because they have their own sort of interests at heart and whatever those are because it's one of the most massive institutions. It was born out of the result of this one British guy. He was like, I can't remember his name. I think we do have a little bit more info on him. But it's just a really weird way for this, the, the inception of such a massive institution that still remains today as one of these pillars, right? Of like, yeah, that does such science amazing and research and, and like, just like all sorts of crazy stuff and just like, yeah, holding artifacts if they remember to keep them. <laughs> I, I mean, I get losing some stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive archive and what yeah. have you. But, but just to give some more like context, I guess, to this whole Childress fellow that we're referring to here, because he's a hardliner, right? If you talk to Childress, he's like, this is out there somewhere. They're, they're you know, they've got it all barred up or whatever he thinks. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just basically yeah. like this big conspiracy. Yes. But he also is very prominently featured on Ancient Aliens, he you is. know. He's a... Uh, what, what's this reference here you pulled up? It was just like he suggested that one archaeologist had attempted to prove that the Grand grand Period, <laughs> grand period. <laughs> Great <laughs> Pyramid, <laughs> was over 35,000 years old. He's also claimed that there's a huge crystal that's stored in a chamber that's about uh, a thousand plus feet We've below the Giza Plateau. Yeah. Was that him that we referenced that episode? I mean, a, a, lot of people, a lot of people have talked about that. He's at this probably point. just like piggybacking on some other yeah. people at this point. But it's funny because this guy is kind of like cited as like the modern inspiration for the mm-hmm. genesis a regenesis, I would say, of this yeah. in the modern imagination. Yeah. And, you know what I mean? And this is probably why we're talking about right now. But. It is. And he's he's even a little bit more controversial, I'd say, than even like David Hancock, who we've referenced before. He came up in mm. the Yanaguni Monument episode and, and, and that kind of thing. And it's like alternative archaeology in, mm. and that kind of thing. And this is why I, you know, I, I think I tweeted at Nick Cox because I was like, man, we could use Nick on this one talking about archaeology and, mm-hmm. you know, bring me back down to earth. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> That's for sure. But yeah, this David Hatcher Childress is definitely super out there. He is one of those guys that I feel like is similar to like an Andrew Collins. Andrew Collins, we've referenced as well. He's he's authored a lot of different books on alternative courses of history, Denisovans, uh, Gobekli Tepe, mm-hmm. things like this. Yeah. And uh, but he Childress is almost just a little bit more woo woo, a little bit yeah. a little bit crazier, a little bit less evidence. He a doesn't more brash. he doesn't base he doesn't have as much to go on and and. To be fair, there isn't, I'm sure, even if you tried, there's not really anything to find, I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, right? Not a lot to access it's, at uh, this point. So I appreciate, I, I can appreciate the the belief and the, the, the desire, the Mulder-esqueness, <laughs> but it's a little bit crazy, and he definitely is the reason we're talking about it today. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, you have to wonder if this, how interested somebody was in this in the 50s i mean did somebody see this in an archive and was like wow i'm going to the grand canyon (laughs) and then they got suppressed too man (laughs) they got taken out by something (laughs) i mean i I don't know you know let's talk some theories here let's let's hammer it down (laughs) we've kind of been talking well i mean we already kind of have 
first first things first, I wanted to make sure everyone knows that only 30% of the Grand Canyon's caves have been properly explored. Mm-hmm. That leaves literally... There's a lot of caves. That's a lot of caves. Mm-hmm. That's a B, okay? 70%. Mm-hmm. That's like a... Is that a B minus or is that a B? It's like a C. C plus? Mm-hmm. Well, look, that's... I think 73 to 86 I would have been happy on, with that on many a Spanish test. <laughs> like, that's a lot of the cave system that has not been looked at. And we do know that the ancient Anasazi used cave systems and built shelters, essentially cities, into the, into the rock. You know what I mean? And I referenced these other Hopi cave systems, too. And we, obviously, hot places, it makes sense. But is there more? Is there something deeper in there and a reason mm. why people wouldn't want us to know? I would love to think so. Uh, apparently, there's about a thousand different caves in the park. So, like I said, about 335 wow. of those have been properly That's explored. That's a lot. Wow. Now, <laughs> could Egyptians have actually made it into any of these caves? I think mm-hmm. that that's a very worthwhile question for mm-hmm. this episode, even though some of the artifacts weren't just Egyptian. The tablets and the hieroglyphics were dis- seemingly, by the descriptions, Egyptian, right? Yeah. And it seems crazy that this could have happened. I mean, the Egyptians aren't even necessarily known for their seafaring abilities. Like, when... In the stuff we've talked about, it was always like the Phoenicians or the very there was, o- ominous yeah. and unknown sea peoples that could do it really well. Well, there was that one thing that's cited in, I think it's the Jack Andrews like collective blog thing where he's like, he has a whole map of different like weird anachronistic artifacts that have yeah. been found. And I think one of them included Phoenician, potentially Phoenician boats that had been found Oh, gosh. I can't even remember where. He had them on the map at one point. I, I have to And wasn't there again. an Egyptian artifact he referenced as well? That well, that wasn't Potentially. Potentially. I actually have that in a second here. Yeah, the, I think that's a little bit further in the episode. But, yeah, no, it was it was also found by someone that will be familiar to us, and I will not reveal that okay. until we get that. <laughs> but, yeah, the Egyptians weren't necessarily known for being long-distance seafarers, but obviously still extremely technologically advanced civilization, obviously. And so this guy, Thor uh, Heyerdahl, who was a Norwegian ethnologist, he set about trying to prove a whole bunch of different sort of ancient technology feats. And in the 1970s, actually in 1970, right at the turn of the decade there, on May 17th, he built and set out from Morocco, sailed across the Atlantic in a boat that was called the Ra 2, as mm-hmm. in Ra, like the god Ra, mm-hmm. that was made out of um, papyrus and like oh, hay, wow. basically, and just like completely authentic Egyptian materials, built a vessel to scale, and he was able to sail it completely across the Atlantic and made it to uh, Barbados in 57 days. Now That's pretty crazy. It is. It is. That is <laughs> I actually came across another expedition, which I think was more modern, and it, I think it was funded by a couple other, was it Caledonia? I don't know. It was a couple other, like, Mediterranean nations, I think. And it was kind of funny because it didn't get any recognition in any of the papers in the U.S., apparently. Oh, no. It, yeah, it <laughs> and I think for good reason, because I think it's kind of funny, right? It's like, oh, we, we, we don't want to recognize that these people could have made it over, potentially, we're not going right. to have a big fanfare. <clears throat> Even though I think in the port that I pulled in, I think it was like the Charleston port or something like that. And they pulled in, they had a little party once they actually made it. But okay. it was funny because it didn't get any reception, but it got huge reception over in the other side of the world. So right. it's kind of funny. It's just like there's a high stakes for them to prove that. Yeah. And I think it also goes hand in hand with nationalism. Oh, absolutely. So. And, and that's that's what ties into all of this story to me. Mm-hmm. But this this is pretty intense. 4,000 miles of ocean in an Egyptian vessel. 
That's insane. And this is just one boat. I mean, it's not like you send out a fleet and you lose a few and then a few more make it. <laughs> yeah. So there is evidence, obviously, that this is possible and they could have reached, um, they, should, could, they could have gone up the Rio Grande River mm, and then reached the, reached the Grand Canyon that way. It's possible. Hmm. It would have been totally extreme. Yeah. There's no other evidence along the way yet or that we know of or that others know of that would prove this expedition. Mm-hmm. But the technology is possible, is a thousand percent possible. And that's just pretty crazy and worth noting. Now, would Egyptians cart their own artifacts across the ocean just to plop in a cave? Probably not. But if they were trading with the ancient Mm -hmm. Anasazi or gifting important cultural pieces in exchange for other things like that were then potentially discovered in the East, like Mm -hmm. we've referenced it on the show before, mummies that allegedly had cocaine. Mm-hmm. Traces of cocaine, traces mm-hmm. of tobacco. Yeah. All these North American commodities. What about the corn finds too? They didn't find any corn in Egypt, I don't think. But no, but there was the there was a tablet in a monastery in Scotland that pre way predated Columbus and showed and, Oh, and, and that was what you're referencing. Depicted yeah. maize. Mm-hmm. Like cultivating maize. Pretty crazy. Well, you, you guys didn't have that. <laughs> you didn't mm-hmm. have it. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't native. To what there. if? What if they had brought that over and tried to plant it and just had failed crops? And they were like, "Oh, frick!" <laughs> right. And then it, <laughs> it just didn't work exactly. Out. <laughs> so there's not very much evidence of it yeah. anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. It's only even recently um, in the Orkney Islands in Scotland that they've found certain types of barley in certain places, and we're like, "Oh man, they people were even further north, or there was actually a settlement here. We didn't think there was a settlement here. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were growing barley here. We had no idea. We mm-hmm. thought it was over there." And that's like in 2021. <laughs> so anyway, it's 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 fascinating to me. I love this kind of stuff, and I, I have no segue to the next to the next section from that. Um, but maybe the Smithsonian is sort of telling the truth. Maybe they're not telling the truth because they just don't have they they genuinely don't have it. I'm- Do you feel as though there are things in your life that are holding you back? or that you could benefit from talking things out with a professional counselor, betterhelp.com is making it easier than ever to get on track with your mental health and connect with a professional therapist online from the convenience of your phone or laptop. Betterhelp.com is safe and private, allowing you to get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist, receiving thoughtful and timely responses in return. BetterHelp has over 300 licensed therapists who are available worldwide, and they have four communication modes. You can text, chat, phone call, or video chat. This makes getting the help you need not only convenient, but also reliable and regular, which can get you on track for the rest of your life. Best of all, it can be more affordable than most traditional options, and there is financial aid for those who qualify. We here at Into the Portal want everyone to be living their best lives, so why not get help? Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today and join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health? Go to betterhelp.com slash portal. Simply fill out a questionnaire that will help them assess your needs and get you matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash portal. 
I think it's time we got into some of Jack Andrews' yeah, theories because okay. we keep bringing this guy up and we just don't even get into it. So I think it's about high time we do. And he actually has a theory along with his colleagues on what he thinks may be the exact location of the entrance of this cave. So, again, like, this is a dude that has a blog that contains, like, a wealth of information, I'll say. And this is all pertaining mostly to Kincaid's cave uh, location and theories. And it's interesting, like, yeah, this is from one of his writings here, and he explains how he kind of came across the story of this cave. And it's not very scientific, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. But he says here, and I quote, um, about the time, and this is after he had had a highly realistic dream involving a hike in which he describes his terrain similar to that of the Grand Canyon, which he had never visited at the time. And in, in this dream, he describes how he found a cave and a lot of interesting things in this cave. And again, this kind of like catapulted his interest in the Grand Canyon. So yeah. he relates and he says like he actually ended up doing several hikes into the canyon and you know he was very like involved in that sort of thing but he um he basically says here this is the 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 dream yeah i guess so he said um i stepped just inside and in the blackness pointed my light at the left wall i saw hieroglyphic type inscriptions in the rock wall and then I panned the light to the area above the entrance and saw more hieroglyphics. So it's almost as if, like, to me, he goes on to say a little bit more. But it almost sounds to me as if he's reliving the Kincaid's cave story. Oh, yeah. And it's it's bizarre to me because I'm not sure if he had had this dream after Childress's book had been published... He doesn't actually say what year or anything like that, but he does say this after. He says, um, so basically this dream vision has kept him in the adventure of finding the truth about his cave for over 30 years, and the dream vision itself was very vivid. And then he says here, I ran into the Kincaid 1909 story in one of my dad's treasure magazines under a subsection called The Lost Ledge. I'd been investigating the story ever since. So it's kind of funny. So he attributes it to a dad's treasure magazine. So he doesn't attribute it to Childress at all. So maybe this was a little bit previous to Childress, because in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I wonder how old he was when he ran across this. Because he doesn't actually say how old he is. But it's interesting, because he's very avid. Um, Him and his team, quote-unquote, of uh, researchers and explorers and all that kind of thing, it's uh, no credentials are noted, really. (laughs) So it's kind of just like, you know. He does reference one guy, uh, Steve Wingate, which is a research partner, similar enthusiast, you know what I mean? And so they actually believe. They've, like, kind of dissected the story, and they think that the cave is most likely to lie somewhere in a six-mile stretch between Marble Canyon, which is located close by the confluence there, and the, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this, the Quagant Rapids, which is just upstream. Okay. okay. And so, yeah, it's a six-mile, I actually have this little, like, map mapped out here. I guess you can see it in our notes here. I can put this, I'll, we'll share this. Oh, yeah, actually. we'll share this for sure. Yeah. But he also refutes the idea, and he's very, like, adamant about this, because I guess when he started looking into this, there was this, like, very central theory that it was actually at the Isis Temple, which is, like, a butte feature in the canyon. It's, yeah. like, it's a very distinct thing. And so he, he said, like, basically this is all just, like, just a bunch of garbage. Well, that would opinion. be a perfect place for it to be. Obviously. I know, right? I mean, exactly. it would be so perfect. So this is where I'm going to mention something else. And... 
he, like I, I kind of alluded to this above, but he includes a map on his website of these possible locations for pre-Columbian artifacts. And it's supposed, there's one in particular, <laughs> it's supposed to be a relic of um, this like, it's like a, a an orb or something. I can't remember exactly how I refer to it, or like a vase of some type. But it contains the mark of Tutankhamun, supposedly. King Tut. Yeah, exactly. And it was allegedly discovered in the region of Idaho by one other than a Mister Kincaid. Oh. <laughs> so it was very strange. He didn't actually have any like follow up references or secondary sources. So I'm kind of confused as to that one. And that. Makes me think that this Kincaid character is is a real person <laughs> using notorious. a false name because he is going, he's taking stuff from places think? he's not supposed to be. Hmm. Or is he's it like just Don a Vadine. case of a lot of crazy going on and a lot of weirdos getting involved and all it's this kind of thing? possibly. I don't know. It could go either way, in That's my opinion. Really weird, it's though. just strange. And like... I will say this, like on the Jack Andrew, he was actually referenced quite a bit in the Astonishing Legends episode, like not by name, but they did mention this blogger guy. And I know they're referring to this guy because he was the one that has, you know, he he's the one that's only been the one to point out his exact sort of location of what he thinks mm-hmm. as far as I can find on internet blogs and things like that. But, right, right. But it's just, it's kind of funny because he references like this Weird America book and like a couple other books and it's mostly just like popular books. Like it's not yeah. like peer reviewed literature or anything like that. It's not very scientific sure. by any means. Yeah. So it's like, it's very much just in the realm of like the fantastical to a certain degree. But it's, it's interesting. The one guy in particular that he references a lot, um, I can't remember his name, but he wrote this Weird America book and he goes to these places. So he goes there and he ex- checks them out and explores and like, he almost reminded me of an Andrew Collins type guy, but I'm not field. sure if I want to like draw that parallel per se, but sure. it kind of reminded me of that right. a little bit. But Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it would be really great if he actually did have a dream that would lead him to it and there could Isn't be a little weird? bit more and yeah i mean like he's that, very that open is, about all that too that is really like, interesting yeah <laughs> i don't know i i really don't know what to make of that i mean obviously he's an open weirdo he's got nothing to lose right i kind of like people like that i don't know i feel like <laughs> and, and i feel like that too like the, having a dream about it does also tie into some of the stuff we've been talking about like the spiritual aspects. yeah the indigenous mm-hmm. uh, locals going yeah. to the confluence treacherous place to get to f- to have those types of experiences visions Ooh, and you know yeah. get feelings about do these artifacts want to be found again or like yeah. if they're even there anymore or, or is it the haunting like the souls of the artifacts as they were removed like like by the 108 truckloads Ooh. like that came in and carted them all off and now they're like Ooh. cursed objects or like there's some sort of spiritual remnant that's like this needs to be righted well maybe they were blessed in some way this because they were crazy. significant well maybe they were genuinely traded or collected by ancient peoples that we thought did not have the ability to i think i think when it comes down to this idea of smithsonian cover-up or government cover-up there's a few different it all ties together this is all tied together there would only be a couple of reasons for that should we get to some of that because i sure. actually have that i'm going to tie that into a whole bunch of this stuff here that i have for the very wrapping this stuff up here like if one one of the reasons i genuinely think in 1909 there w- may have been a higher up directive to the smithsonian where a clerk might not know what the hell's going on but a higher up directive is saying hide these artifacts or turf this story or mm-hmm. whatever may have to do with this notion of native americans having the technology to have crossed the atlantic ocean them their goddamn selves <laughs> well before mm-hmm. columbus and having trade with both on the Pacific side and the Atlantic side, tra- trade with Polynesians, with 
possibly Egyptians, like all right, like they they could have collected these artifacts. Hmm. These could be this could be a collection of priceless traded cultural treasures. Yeah, that were exchanged for cocaine and tobacco. That's interesting. Like okay. why not? Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> It's a stretch, but I feel like that notion, especially at that time, would have been very quickly swept under the rug. Yeah. I mean, they were still trying to basically scrub the land of, of, of these poor indigenous people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And Well, and they were asserting their right over it, too. And, and nationalism, like I said, is a huge part destiny, of that. And manifest right? destiny and all these things. Yeah, exactly. It's the American right. So I feel like that's mm-hmm. one very practical reason why they would maybe want to cover up something that was like, wow, this is going to actually change the course of history. And maybe they could see the writing on the wall being like, yeah, it's 1909 now. 100 years from now, there might be some more laws and rules. And if there's these artifacts and this proof, that's going to have a lot more weight. Than mm. it has in 1909. Maybe somebody has some foresight there and hmm. is, wants to hold on to that manifest destiny. True. Right? I wouldn't doubt that. That's that's one reason. Um, I mean, another reason I kind of just mentioned here that's sort of, I guess, mundane. Not, as, not that that's mundane. I mean, if they actually did trade that mm-hmm. far back. But maybe the Smithsonian's not really covering anything up. Like, this has happened before, you know, where there's... Things dropped off, officially logged, Mm -hmm. and then they go missing. And is it just genuinely an accident? Yeah, it's tough to say. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Should I get interdimensional now? I mean, I can quickly move on from that theory (laughs) to this because this is, this is, this is, okay. I have two more things. There's one other reason the government would want to cover it up, and that's if there actually was an extension of the map that G.E. Kincaid describes into a much larger underground civilization, what have you, or place to hide stuff. Like, Hmm. what better place to hide an underground military installation than in the middle of the Grand Canyon inside something that nobody would think is anything there? That's that's already built. It's already built, yeah, exactly. Why why not? Yeah. I mean, they're allegedly building stuff or had something built under the Denver airport. That's pretty on the nose. Like, this is much more... Ooh, yeah. Practical for hiding yeah. or for having secret whatevers or whatever. There's probably all sorts of weird military installations inside national parks all over the like country, right? really. So that would just... And plus, if people knew that there was such a vast, like, 50,000 is just the very tip of it, like, underground, mm-hmm. like, just sprawling metropolis, then people are going to find their way in there. Like, no matter what. Like, you need to keep people away from that. Mm-hmm. So that's another possibility what do you think of that well yeah that's that's actually like not too too far far (laughs) i mean maybe the ancient anasazi that we know were like building into the cliffs like weren't even able to access some of the points that existed at a way more ancient point like Hmm. they were just existing in the cave systems and building into things that they could access like things were cut off i'm getting all sorts of weird ideas here like what if there is something even more not nefarious per se but something a little bit more sinister or powerful like even like i'm thinking like the the plot from dark where it's like what if there's some sort of like actual portal or some sort of like like uh, it's like the dark matter or something that people like you know and I'm, i'm just thinking about this in terms of everything we've discussed as far as like even the weird plane crash right and like there's all sorts of weird stuff that is going on that might be interdimensional and i think we should probably get into that too because i, that's, I that's, think I, we had a story come up that was quite on the nose with that and quite weird. Absolutely. And you're totally right. This whole discussion. It totally does. And bringing up the confluence on the plane crash again, it does all tie into this because it's like they're Egyptian artifacts. 
it's it's an eastern find. That's what we've been talking about. We've referenced Underworld of Giza and crazy ideas about the pyramids and possibly ley line locations and these places being portal locations as well. Could there have been a connection? East to west. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know this is crazy. Did the Egyptians teleport to this location? Mm -hmm. Was there a transference point here where things could be traded, information could be traded somehow? Or, or, or whatever. I mean, it's not just the back door to an underground civilization. It's the literal door to somewhere else completely. And there is a reference that could possibly lend some credence to this. There was a gentleman named Hank Craftsman who was a student at North uh, Northern Arizona University, and this was, I believe, in the 1980s. He had spent some time with the Hopi uh, indigenous peoples of the area and was specializing in folklore, native folklore, in his studies at the university. So he ends up getting linked up with another, not with another, through another student to a uh, member of a particular Hopi group that said, hey, I'm willing to give you more information. This guy's name was allegedly Kopavi, Kopavi had been granted access to special places within the canyon by his elders. Mm -hmm. And he also had an interest in folklore. And so this was a perfect match with Hank Craftsman. So they get together and he allegedly takes Hank to this special place uh, to show him the power of the landscape. And so he could really feel the actual folklore that he's been studying in the books, right? He has to blindfold him in order to lead him to this special place because it's not allowed for anyone else to know how to get there, which sounds very much like Kincaid. You know, he finds mm. this place and we, now nobody else can. It's right. Anyway, so well. he's blind. Kopavi's blindfolds Hank, tells him to hold out his hand. He's confused. Or sorry, he leads him to this place. Treacherous climb. They're on horseback. He gets off and he, he has still blindfolded, but he says, tells him to hold out his hand takes off the blindfold and sees he's standing in front of just this rock wall. He reaches out, and instead of touching the rock, Hank claims that his hand went straight through the rock into the other side, as mm -hmm. if he was crossing a portal. He just, yeah, exactly. Crossed um, over. He's then led into this chamber through the, through the rock by Kopavi, and then is told that he's inside of what is a purification chamber, a place where there's some kind of a transference that takes place between worlds. A cleansing has to happen in this place. Then he is led further into the view of a massive, like, underground world, basically, or just another world in general. I'm picturing more like Hollow Earth is how it reads. But it's like this massive mm. futuristic world with flying tra transparent orbs that mm. were carrying humanoid beings. And he believed that he was outright led into a, an, another world. Well, or it's just a window into another world. Or a world. window. That's kind yeah, of what he's I'm looking, thinking yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. He's looking at he's it. He's not there per se, but it's almost like there's that, that crossover point. Yeah. And I'm not, I, in my, in, when I am sort of interpreting that, I'm not even interpreting that as like, it's a physical world underneath the Grand Canyon inside the rock. It's almost as if that's a portal to another place right. in another realm, in another whatever. Is kind of my pretty, interpretation. Pretty of me, wild but, stuff. But it could be either or. Who knows? Who knows? Pretty wild stuff. That is pretty crazy. And so do we... So, so this yeah. is interesting because he tried to go back there, right? So he tried. He yeah. never was able to find it again. Apparently, he spent. He passed away just recently. Actually, it was only like twenty thirteen or something. No, really. And he spent most of the rest of his life apparently trying, constantly going back every year into the canyon, and was never able to rediscover mm. this this stone where he could cross over. 
Because uh, Kopavi left him high and dry. Yeah. But gave him this everlasting feeling and this experience of, like, knowing. I mean, I mean. So my next question is, like, was Kopavi supplying him with some, like, herbals or anything like that? That was or? my first question. Mm-hmm. Is this just pure hallucination? Mm. To what purpose by this guy? I mean, you lead a random dude into the because you want woods. to you want to seem like white man knows all. Fuck you, you don't know all. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, fair enough, I, I don't know. Like maybe. Like, I guess. You, like totally like pulled the wool over him or something. Like, but I mean, at but the same like, time, I don't think so. No. I think I think it was more about reverence and respect for nature, and that mm-hmm. was the whole. Hopefully, the whole yeah. uh, point of the whole exercise. But and I, I feel know. and I feel like even if something like this was true, like. A special place crossovers possible. I mean, they talk a lot of you know interviews with like elders now about the confluence area. They reference it almost as if it's like this type of place mm-hmm. where you can physically reach out and like cross over to another point type thing. It's more. But where is that though? Are you reaching into a whole different like you know it's like a I different know, planet meta- or universe, a different like totally like you know yeah. cosmos or totally it's more different. metaphorical. Mm-hmm. But I feel like even in talking about that, it gets lost all of the like eastern stuff or like like the yeah. objects and the pre-columbians or just like the notion of contact like that's almost like separate well but it isn't yeah. to me though i don't know if it you is really I mean? you know what's funny like i think it all is kind of connected and like that's where i'm gonna even just tie in the whole plane crash scenario again yeah. where it's like these planes are going entirely different directions totally different definite de- destinations and like they should not have at any point have collided but they did right. and it's just bizarre to think Maybe they actually accidentally, maybe one of them crossed through something that was a totally different, like, what if it was a different ley line, weird electromagnetic thing that slipped them through? It's almost like the Donnie Darko plot, where, like, the, the engine slips <laughs> yeah. through the, the other side, and it's all of a sudden he's like, holy shit, we're in front of the yeah. plane, boom, there you go, and that's it. Well, exactly, just totally like, by know. accident, like, because there's these transference points and port- portals, I totally buy into that. Or the other more, like logical thing with that their instruments weren't working properly and they thought they were in one place they're actually in a different place right but it wasn't really a midday suck. though i'm pretty sure it wasn't at night well it I was think. but who knows like maybe it was cloudy maybe they're above the cloud who knows i mean come on you can have some but if you don't have no idea where you are your head's being messed with and like that's ties yeah. into all this too i think well, electronic fog too i wonder yeah. if they might have been experiencing that who knows brain fog electronic fog every kind of fog. real fog it's actual just weird fog. to think that there was such a limited air um airspace allowance right over this yeah. area and is yeah. it like i said like i asked already uh midway through this episode but like is it because of protecting the space or is it protecting the people flying over the space right, <laughs> like, right. is it just that uh, unreliable of an area that mm-hmm. you just can't and again i'll refer to big bend national park where it's like big bend sorry not big ben it's like i'm referring to the clock or something uh, yeah. <laughs> he's got his own park now if that appears <laughs> in big bend we've got a story <laughs> exactly no but i'm just thinking like you know that's another highly electromagnetic place yeah with a lot of anomalies and i'm not sure if they actually have any restrictions over the airspace over there i'd have to right. look into that one if all those meteors are you'd imagine they probably would oh just, you, just to be like you it, know out of safety have to, yeah it would have to be but lots of mysterious things in this episode i actually do you want to get into this guy like i wanted to bring him up this is just like, kind of like food for thought kind of thing but it was just weird like again going back to this mysterious smithsonian we're just like propping up a buddy guy over here uh what's his name a childress because we're getting into all this smithsonian conspiracy type stuff but not even really it's just like i wanted to mention its origins and like i thought it was weird because all the funds that contributed to the founding of the smithsonian were ultimately bequeathed by 
of this one guy named James Smithson, and he was an illegitimate English aristocrat. And yeah. I don't understand how he got all this money if he's an illegitimate aristocrat that didn't actually inherit any of his family's money. Like, was he just like a really hard up businessman? Like, I guess. Yeah, he's just an entrepreneur. He's just he's wheeling and dealing. Used and that's the how name he made it. and got some stuff. And the most bizarre part about this is that he bequeathed all these funds to the U.S. government with very specific instructions. And he never, ever stepped foot on American soil. No. Yet, no. his entire estate is left to the founding of, quote, and I this is a direct quote from, the establishment for the increase and diffusion of knowledge. Knowledge. So this came about, okay, so this guy, Smithson, died, and then it was six years later that the announcement came and this was after some very fierce debate in Washington. So they actually came to the decision on August 10th, 1846. And it was an act of Congress that was signed by President James K. Polk. And it was after eight years of heated debate that they established the Smithsonian Institution, as we know it today, as a trust. And this was to be administered by a board of regents and a secretary of the Smithsonian. So mm -hmm. since its founding, this is over 170 years ago, obviously, the Smithsonian has become the world's largest museum, education, and research complex with over 19, sorry, 19 museums, a national zoo, and nine research facilities. Crazy, that right? comes direct from their website there. Yeah. But it's just really cool. Like, I was just like, what? And it's weird. weird. It's just strange. It's like, was he just like, F you, all you British blokes, and Most I'm just gonna, I'm just, I'm just gonna invest all of my yeah. unspent wealth into the American the dreams. <laughs> the traders. Yeah, exactly, yeah. the traders. Right. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, I don't know. Yeah. Is this very, like, you know, 1846, so I'm not sure how oh, I'd have to go back in my history books and look at all No, it's definitely worth referencing that, and it is, it is, it is a strange start to the Smithsonian, and they just do so much awesome work, but then they're always associated is there, with Is there secret stuff. prerogatives is my question. Right. I kind of want to infiltrate the institution and kind of like, you know. <laughs> from, from Jump Street, it seems like maybe there was, or maybe there are. Maybe. And and definitely uh, with the notion of Manifest Destiny that you've brought up, this idea of protecting culture, this idea of protecting a certain historical lineage to things. And it was funny, actually, once again, I'm going to uh, shout out uh, Scott and Forrest as Astonishing Legends because they brought up this idea of, like, joking about rewriting the history books. You know, like, mm, yeah. nobody wants to do that, redo that or whatever. And then Scott, I think, was saying, like, like oh, of course, of course they would. They'll sell more books. <laughs> and then, like, my thing I said to you, I was like, mm. well, it's, it's not the publishers that care about this. It's, it's the institutions. It's the, it's the people behind the scenes that would care. And just very quickly to have an example, yeah. like there's dozens, and I'm not going to get into it because we don't need to because you guys all know it's true. But very recently in the 80s in Brazil, there was a Roman ship discovered. And then when they attempted to excavate, they were blocked, barred. The area was completely cut off, denied that the find was ever there at all, even though there was the literal photos of the, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name, I think Stelle, or like the pot, the pottery, oh, the okay. Roman pottery used mm -hmm. for carrying wine and oil, olive oil and these types of things. Mm -hmm. Those types of things have been found off the coast of North America and South America Central America. Well, all, not to mention the, a lot of the Viking stuff, too. That, that stuff, know, too. That's... But the point is that the Brazilian government wanted to quickly stomp that out. Mm -hmm. They didn't want any notion of anyone being there before uh, Portuguese explorers at all. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't want to touch that with a 50 million foot pole. Yeah. Because and it just is going to bring a bunch of problems. All of a sudden, yeah. they got to deal with Italy now. That's All of a sudden, exactly, Italy yeah. is going to start. Like, we, we, we joke about it as if it's like, oh, yeah, you find a Roman ship. Like, no. Like, they would then potentially have a legitimate yeah. beef with Brazil. We I, were there first. Yeah. And you have to. Yeah, exactly. That like, comes back to nationalism and importance. And that comes back to that other story that I mentioned. And I wish I could remember the year that those guys set off. I know it was quite recently in the last decade. And they, again, right, it was all funded from the Mediterranean organizations, those sorts of na- nations over there. And it proved to a T, again, right, very primal, not primal, sorry, it's very, like, of the times, like, ancient technology, seafaring technologies, things like that. And it did prove how reliable those currents are. Right. And it doesn't take, like, it obviously takes a lot, but it's like, you know, Columbus wasn't anything special, no. let's say that. No. <laughs> like, that was he not, didn't even end up where he was supposed to most true, of yeah. the time on his expeditions. Like, I was he just, just floating in the, the breeze, He man. followed the currents. The currents took him where he wanted, yeah. where he went, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. But it just goes to show that it is definitely possible, and there's a lot of weird stuff going on. And the Smithsonian is very weird, and I just had this, like, at the very end of our notes here, it's like that really strange article from the Smithsonian on this Dialoff Theory update, and I'm like, that's BS, it was in my opinion. And it was literally from January 29th. Uh, 2021. It was it was recent. So, so final thoughts, Amber. Sorry, King Cade's yeah. cave. The the this. The I want it to be real. Arch- I, absolutely. I want it to be real. I want something weird to be there. Yep. I don't know. I want to go, but I, I know we're too. not probably going to. But we're probably going to stay at that hotel. We're definitely going to the El Tovar Hotel. Yeah. The El Tovar Crystal Canyon wasn't an official place, but was he referencing a sort of a point near the hotel? Like, yeah. I mean, right? Like, could that have been it? I, I don't, don't know. know. It was there. It was built at that time. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I got this really geeky idea here where I'm like, what if? Because, you know, like, drones aren't allowed in the Grand Canyon, things like that. Sure. What if, though, we got someone to build, like, a tiny, like, almost like a beetle size like really cute little, <laughs> little spy bug little spy bug and it's like it could fly for small distances so if you needed it to fly from one ledge to another it could do that but it would just crawl and it would have like really grippy like hands and stuff so it could crawl up a lot of surfaces it's just like a bug this is the next and then that's how you would just like you would use it to have like cameras on all angles and you'd like <laughs> explore the grand canyon That'd that be way so sick. i think it would fly under the radar I don't know. Why is Elon Musk <laughs> trying to go to space when we could be trying to search for caves <laughs> with bionic bugs? Right. I mean, come on, buddy. <laughs> My final thoughts on this, you guys, is honestly, I do believe that it's possible for an article like this to have been based on some some grain of truth. Hmm. Uh, whether or not it was necessarily exactly associated with the things we've been talking about. Like, it's, it could just be pure hoax. But hmm. the point is that even if that article was pure hoax what it's referencing could still exist. And and all of those things are possible to exist. I don't think it's... Yeah. I don't want it to be pure hoax. Mm-mm. I want there to be some grain to this. And I do believe that... I think it's naive to think that things aren't covered up and hidden away. I think it's completely naive. It happens on, the, on the daily. It happens on the daily for the information that we get. And you have to dig for it. Even more so now, because it's just a sea of garbage information. Or, or just see the filters somehow, you know what I mean? Be like, okay, exactly. what do they really mean by that? It reminds me of the Crack and Wakes, the book I'm reading right now, because it's like reporters, right? And mm-hmm. then they like, see headlines, they're like, what do they, what do they really mean behind that? Right. <laughs> they're trying to interpret the thing. But I will, final thought here, I will say that I think my most prominent theory, after getting through all of this stuff, was 
that it's very possible if these artifacts were deposited within the Grand Canyon or maybe traded with ancient Anasazi and then placed there, the peoples that maybe brought them over were the infamous Sea Peoples. (laughs) And I think it makes sense because they pillaged Egypt. They Mm -hmm. won a lot of intense battles against I believe it was Ramses the second. Mm, yeah, I think so. Uh, they also uh, took over a lot. They, they, they pillaged and plundered areas of Greece. Basically, they conquered, or not conquered because they didn't rule, but they conquered for a very brief time, invaded, stole, murdered from the most powerful nations in Europe and in at that time took their stuff, and they were seafaring peoples. Hmm. So where so did they come they're from? they're running away... <gasps> did they ultimately come from North America? Did Well, Ooh. either they came... Well, I don't know about that. Possibly. I mm-hmm. mean, we talked about them being Atlanteans or something mm, or whatever yeah. too, right? But it would make sense for there being a lot of weird artifacts that are misplaced, that are kind of hodgepodge together, stolen, cobbled together, and then the description of, like, warriors' barracks. Mm-hmm. It's like this was just, like, it's, it sounds like yeah. traveling Vikings. It's yeah. like they have a forge. It's very basic rudimentary sticks. Grain. Maybe they were trying to set up shop in a brand new weird place. Yeah. They, they sailed into the Grand Canyon up, somehow. Yeah. Or, I mm-hmm. don't know. I mean, that... That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the fact that it was all male and that they were in these, like, really strange-looking, like, small compartmentalized little right? chambers, right? Like, you know, as far as, like, uh, like the, the... It wasn't grandiose living. It wasn't made for anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't made for a family life. It wasn't made for royalty. It was made for, yeah, very specific purpose, I think, and a little more industrial, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, that makes a lot of sense. It does. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, I we would. This is now officially into the portal's longest episode so? on record. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So we're gonna wrap things up. All we right. definitely want to hear what you guys think about the legendary Kincaid's Cave. Mm-hmm. Does this place exist? What do you think of the original article? We've put out a lot of theories here, and we would love to hear your input on it. And honestly, that that's all I have to say. Thank mm-hmm. you guys so much for listening. And I know it's been a long time. If you haven't yet, please hit us up and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Check out our website, IntoThePortal.com. Check out our network website, StraightUpStrange.com. Exactly. Halloween's coming up. We actually have... Halloween's amazing, but beyond that, we actually have some cool new merch coming out soon. Oh, yeah. So we're going to, like, we're refresh. We're changing up everything. We're going to refresh. We're going to, you know... It's going to be so different, you guys. Exactly. Like, just stay tuned for it. It's going to be sweet. Hit us up at Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram. Come follow us there. And I can't even think we've of got, anything else. We got we got a massive thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. Yeah. We've got our producers. We got Adam K. We got Nightwing. We got Kitsune. Jackson Greenberg. Yes. We could not do this without you guys. Oh my and, god! No thank. And all the rest, y'all. Like you know, like just listening to this, like this. For this, all, and yeah. for everyone that's stuck with us, list, regular listeners, patrons, mm-hmm. like you guys are all so amazing. I know we've been on a pretty lengthy break here. We just appreciate you guys so so much. We can't wait to get just get back here more regular it's gonna be sick it's gonna be a sweet year Mm -hmm. winter and then an upcoming year because it's already gonna be the new year pretty soon exactly um but yeah no this has been super fun this has been one of my favorite subjects that kind of got us into podcasting in Mm -hmm. the first place and we're gonna have more of those coming your way i oh yeah some of the classics are coming your way yeah like absolute classics the reason this show exists Mm -hmm. so stay tuned and until next time on into the portal your gateway to the bizarre
cover more hit than this one. Straight up swing. 